for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. This week marks six years and 300 episodes of Power Athlete Radio. We've seen guests including scientists, authors, athletes, and renowned coaches. But for our tricentennial episode, we are stripping it down to our basic bitches, John, Luke, and Tex. We'd like to thank everyone who has purposely or accidentally stumbled upon this show and to those who have contributed to its legitimacy over the years. If you're looking for legitimate strength and conditioning content that will empower your performance, maybe hit up one of our other 299 episodes, you picky bastard, because this week we are staying true to our authentic selves with a history lesson, CrossFit football jeopardy, some of our favorite stories, and a lot, I mean a lot, of conspiracy theories. Just what you expected from the premier podcast in strength and conditioning. Here's episode 300. Little white lines I'm smoking going down the road. I'm smoking. Our athlete nation. What's happening? Good news. You're listening to the 100th episode. 100? No way. 200th episode. Uh, I'm not going to do it. 300th episode. Sounds better. 300th episode of the Power premier podcast. Over the last 300 episodes, did you develop a lisp? And conditioning. No, it's an echo. Oh, 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 oh. (laughs) well, I'm glad we are the premier podcast on strength conditioning. Ladies and gentlemen, it is with great regret that we announce this is the last episode we will be launching this week. (laughs) Until next week and the 301st episode, which we're going to be celebrating. Uh, by John, what are we going to do? I think John will be hiring a private chef for Tex and I. The featured guest here is on the hook. Um, today's episode also featuring John's noisy coat. And, <laughs> uh, you know, for a 300th episode, I went up to the house, made sure to put on my noisiest coat so that I could make as much That's scratching right. noises as possible. It's like kind of like a DJ mix. Uh, mm. Like, like you know, when you used to, like, when scratch. Ingo would scratch the records, you know, Ingo B. Now he has to actually drop those into the uh, CD playlist. Like, he buys little clips of uh, scratches and then just drops them in to look like he's mixing it. Oh, up. I thought he went to, got like a, like a remote control turntable from Best Buy that would do that. You know, like, it looks like a turntable, in it, but really it's just for PlayStation. That was no. my assumption. No, I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, well. I thought DJs just, they turn on the iPod. You remember the old iPods? No. Uh, you turn? Do you guys remember actually when DJs used to have vinyl records and they'd come in with like crates of vinyl records and then they would throw them up there and they would play and they would have their like good stuff and then they would have their scratch records and then they would actually mix and scratch on like fucked up records? No. No, you, I'm dating myself, but that was actually when DJs had to like sample music and like have the right, like have it all laid out. And it was a skill, not just sitting at Gotta home. Gotta be honest, man. By the time I started hitting the club, they were all digital. So Jay Welly kicking the doors in the club, listening to the vinyl scratch. Well, I remember we were uh, in, when I was in college, uh, we went to a party for a sorority through this big party. And it was at, I want to say the Rhythm and Blues Barbecue in Richmond, California. And I think it was like DJ Rick and the Funky Homo Sapiens or some crazy yeah. fucking band showed up and played. <laughs> and I remember we went to this place and like it was uh, it was legit. It like old school, you know, not necessarily the place a bunch of white kids from Berkeley should have been. And uh, dude, it was pretty epic. So I've seen some stuff. Yes. Yeah, so what you're not going to be hearing on this episode of Premier Podcast and Strength and Conditioning eh? Eh? is us scratching up records fucking DJing. 
Why would we do that? We're not DJs. No. Wouldn't even pretend to be a DJ. No, not at all. Like some of our subscribers. I mean, would you consider Ingo a subscriber? No, no. He's more <laughs> like, uh, what's he more like? He's more like the hall monitor. You remember the hall monitor who's at school and he gets his special badges and, you know, his whole title is hall monitor and mm-hmm. then he just rats mm-hmm. kids out as they're running down the hall. That's Ingo. He's, uh, he's kind of power athlete hall monitor. Yeah, so for anyone who has no fucking clue what we're talking about, we have a dude's been following the program for like six years. No, right? uh, since day one. Since like, yeah. of CrossFit football. Yeah, he's one of the original. Right? And uh, he's just kind of won't go away. <laughs> but through being around and just listening... Because, it's, spoiler alert, people, we give you all the answers. He's, You're just not here. He's now. really... Uh, he, he's, well, he's qualified to like he's the help a ton of people out. Yeah, yeah no, he, he's a historian. He's, he's heard it all. He's, he's intelligent and he's sharp and he remembers all the nonsense we talk about. So he's, uh, mm-hmm. he's great for the story. So he's, if he's ever helping you out on the feeds, you can trust him. Just don't trust him with your playlist. Or puns. <laughs> I think he's pretty good at puns. He is puntastic. I honestly think he has some like online pun generator where he enters in the word and it gives him the pun because he's pretty punny. John, didn't you find a like psychological disorder where it exacerbated itself? Like if somebody is overusing <laughs> puns, they yeah. likely have this like, uh, yeah, like it, psychological it, it, it disorder. Is a psychologi- I, I can't remember what it's called, but there is a psychological disorder that deals with excessive pun making. Yeah, so while I Google that, we also... And then there's also another one where it's a fear of puns, where there's a... A a, fear? So there's a phobia of uh, being around and having conversations with people that use puns. So that's another one. Puns, psychological disorder. Puns, psychological disorder. Let's see what this returns, people. I'm Googling it. Ah, yes. Witzel schlucked. Yeah. Neurological symptoms characterized by a tendency to overuse puns. <laughs> <laughs> Holy smokes. Uh, Witzel shoot. It's called Witzel shoot. 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 Yeah. So we have a few people in Power Athlete Nation that. Also known as the Joker Syndrome. Oh. Ah. Mm. We're going to change that to the Ingo Syndrome. That's right. Ladies and gentlemen, it's not a lie. This is the 300th episode of the Premier Podcast and Strength and Conditioning. You will be taken through all sorts of scripted and well-thought-out discussion and rhetoric on the value of this podcast as it relates to life by your co-hosts. Is John a co-host yet after 300? We got a break. Uh, I haven't been on. I haven't been on enough of the podcast to really be a co-host. Okay, you guys are featured guest. Well, I'm featured guest, and what I like about it is the fact that you guys run podcasts all the time when I'm not around. You just have random people on. You're like, ah, we got a new special guest. Mm -hmm. And man, you know, if you could only hear what we say about you, because we go back and listen to you talk shit about us all the time. (laughs) (laughs) What's up with that Rob Wolf podcast? Um, Which one? The one in which I was not attending, Mm -hmm. and it's. Floodgates. Uh, yeah, if you're not here to defend yourself, you're getting burned down. Bitch. You get fucking. <laughs> you better get curb stomped. That's just how it works. That's the, that is the age that we're in, man. It's it is like you show up or you get burnt down. Okay. Well, I have a 300 inspired question for John. Mm, play it on me. We had the great opportunity of going and visiting John's alma mater, Berkeley. Mm-hmm. Beautiful campus. I was pretty jealous. It's pretty amazing. I mean, Strawberry Canyon, the whole deal. It's pretty, yeah, breathtaking. And you speak a lot of your classic 
classics class and you learned about 300 and the true story of all these warrior poets that we learned about in that fictional movie with uh Gerard it's a graphic Butler. novel first off yeah uh well, never read it well the uh, well the, you, don't, you look at it's, it, it's about graphics. well i learned about the battle of thermopylae so where 300 greeks took on supposedly a million persians mm-hmm. i believe it and that had impact on you how how did it have an impact on me um i always was kind of fascinated by uh you know obviously being a you know rhetoric uh, classics major I was always fascinated by uh, the tales. So um, were you able to do something that they would write heroic epics about that people would talk about for thousands of years? Um, and more were, you know, how, like, how did that whole process, like the, uh, the, the, the heroic epics, like Beowulf and the Iliad and the Odyssey and these, you know, writings, you know, from, you know, Socrates and Plato and, and uh, speaking about you know, uh, antiquity and history and the Greeks and the Spartans and how like, you know, uh, Spartan mothers were most coveted by, uh, parents in Athens to raise their children because they were so you know hard and they, they would raise their children correctly. And I was always fascinated by Spartan culture. Um, you know, Hollywood's done a really good job to glorify it. Uh, it's extremely kind of messed up. I mean, with the agogi and I know people have seen the movie 300, but you should really dig into, uh, really the, um, the, I guess you could say like the gay culture, uh, you know, was very big in that deal. And if you like read the Phaedrus, you know, true love only exists between a man and his, you know, and his boy lover. And like only, only a man can help another man understand. So, I mean, I'm reading this and it's very contrary to how I was raised and what I believe. But, um, what I was always fascinated by was doing something worthy of somebody singing the tale and, and the, of the hero. And, when I read about the Battle of Thermopylae and the Hot Gates and, you know, the, you know, and then obviously when the movie 300 came out, which I think we've all probably everybody listening here decided like, I mean, shit, I remember when the movie 300 came out, I thought I'm not training hard enough. And this is why I was in the NFL. So, I mean, I can imagine like the amount of people that saw that movie. And I really kind of credit the movie 300 with uh, the rise of CrossFit. Yeah, it was like an interesting cross section of that movie, social media, Uh, Um, Facebook, the rise of Facebook mm -hmm. and CrossFit putting out free workouts. And then also people Googling, like, what do they do to get in shape? They found Jim Jones and then really it translated back to CrossFit. And I think that kind of perfect storm. Uh, The one thing that struck me most, um, and I actually was on Jay Figueroa's podcast recently. Ferugia. Ferugia, uh, Renegade podcast, Renegade radio. And we were talking about. Uh, you know, continue to train. And Tex and I had the opportunity to go out to Cal Strength and work with some future NFL players. And, uh, you know, to be able to show up, you know, nine, ten years later, having retired and still being pretty strong and good enough shape to go out and train with these guys. And he asked me, he's like, you know, what's the mindset? And I, and I was trying to recall the, uh, the story from antiquity, but I kind of deferred to, you know, old samurais. Whenever you see old samurais in the movies, they're always like old badasses and they still are, you know, really good with the sword and super fit and all this. And I'm like, you know, old samurais just don't go to shit. They don't go out to pot. They don't put them out to pasture. Those guys are still highly trained in their skill and they hold their skill very, you know, uh, you know, on a pedestal. Um, the other analogy, which I forgot later on in texted him was uh, Leonidas and few people remember this was actually 60 years old when the Battle of Thermopylae happened. And he had a young wife and had a young son and marched off. And there he was at 60 years old, leading the front front of the Felix and, you know, all the stories. And 
you know, hey, uh, you know, the arrows are going to blot out the sun. Great. We like to fight in the shade. I mean, all these famous lines that are, are carved, you know, that people think were probably Hollywood were actually, uh, if you go back and you read the text, uh, were really in there. Like the idea of like, um, you know, uh, lay down your weapons, the whole come and get them, the Mona Lieb. I mean, all of that is steeped in antiquity. So, uh, and just what people forget because they see Gerard Butler all juiced up. I mean, looking good with some CGI. All natty, bro. No, nah, he was not all natty. I mean, yeah, let's not pretend. But you see that and he's a guy in his 40s, which people usually think of King Leonidas, you know, that he was, you know, and the uh, the Spartans claimed that they could trace their lineage back to Hercules was a big deal. So 60 years old out there still fighting, still training, still living it. So the idea that, you know, just because you've retired from, you know, your present job at 30 doesn't mean that you have to give up that level of strength or fitness into your 40s, 50s and 60s that you can continue to fight back the hands of time. Um, and I, um, it's pretty interesting. Like, uh, there's this idea that as we age, you know, and you get up in years, you have to be able to kind of turn that over and say, well, that's not for me anymore. And I just think that's bullshit. I mean, uh, the Michael, uh, roses discussion that we had on, uh, you know, Johnny Wad with, uh, the fruit flies, that idea of like, what things can you do to slow the hands of time and slow aging? You know, the consumption of an ancestral diet was one of the, is one of the major ones. And if those of you guys listening haven't uh, watched Michael Rose's talk at the Ancestral Health Symposium from last year, go on and Google Michael Rose AHS 2018 and watch his talk on fruit flies. Uh, probably one of the most interesting pieces I've heard, one of the best arguments I've heard for eating some form of ancestral diet. Now, the problem you run into is you have like all these people being like, oh, you know, calories are calories and like food doesn't matter. And it's all about, you know, consumption and here and macronutrients. And at the end of the day, you have a guy who's probably one of the smartest people on the planet, uh, you know, evolutionary biologist discussing that, you know, over the course of time, uh, you know, it doesn't really matter how you eat, but all of a sudden you hit 40 and you know, your ability to eat a kind of a, a more similar ancestral diet allows you to extend that stuff out, which we've seen. So, um, but that piece was really impactful for me when I realized that Leonidas was 60 years old and he did, uh, there was information about him. I mean, if you look at some of the other wars that he was involved in, but he's really known and that's how Hollywood and everybody remembers him is for the battle at the hot gates and the battle of Thermopylae. So, and he did his best work at 60 years old. So, I mean, he was still actively kicking ass, so if, if he can do it, why can't we? So I thought that was a good piece. And I, you know, I'm curious because is this a new culture? Again, spurred off by 300, the internet in terms of like Facebook, social media, CrossFit, where people have adopted a lifestyle that is, have an opportunity to adopt a lifestyle where they continually and regularly are, have access to like legitimate coaching and programming at simultaneously. And that allows people now with their home gym set up because of rogue and all of this to continue to train like this as almost like as a treatment, as a preventative measure long into their thirties, forties, fifties, and sixties. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because I, there's people who, whose identity and culture in their, their whole community is surrounded by the proverbial wad or workout or training session of that day. 
Like that doesn't just change. People will just hang that shit up, do they? Well, in, in the NFL culture, they do. I remember Monty Clark, who was my offensive line coach, played for 10 years for the Detroit Lions and went on and, you know, was head coach for the Lions and offensive line coach for the 49ers. He coached at Stanford. And then when he was my offensive line coach my last year at Cal, he made an interesting point to me. He said, when I retired from the NFL, I vowed to myself I would never sweat again. Yeah, he, but, you know, I mean, but, but that's what he told me. He, sure. never, he never wanted to exercise. He never wanted to lift weights. Uh, he was like, I never want to sweat again. And he asked me, he's like, when you retire, and I'm like, dude, I am going to kill myself every day that I can in the gym. Mm-hmm. And um, the interesting thing that I noticed was uh, the old dudes that all trained at Zangus's place, you know, because Zangus was in his 60s, you know, when I was training with him. And uh, all the old dudes that showed up were all pretty strong and pretty fit. Uh, I don't think they really cared much about their diet and they ate way too much. But for the most part, most of those dudes were all pretty strong. They were all moving, you know, some mm-hmm. weight. They didn't really do much aerobic work on that battleman, but they were strong as shit. But and I would put those dudes like down towards the more competitive end of training. And I would put, um, you know, like a, a, maybe a dude in the NFL who is clearly there. At, it's a job. Like it's not their motivation to train. Their motivation is to play. So we have a population of people who fucking go in, kick the door in, punch the card, have their eight hour day. And the one thing that keeps them sane is their passion for training. And they have access to good training, not just fucking aerobics class, step classes, not just extreme, like powerlifting fringe type shit, but actually holistic training yeah. and like people following our shit and we're not well, like the only best program out there there's some other smart dudes out there doing some shit but i mean specifically our folks are following they have every outlet depending on yeah. where they're at there's no excuse and and i think the uh before the advent of the internet a lot of this information was kind of kept locked up and people didn't yeah, really in have books it. or in magazines yeah. that you would rarely come across yeah. unless you were fucking somehow well, roped into a powerlifting i i had crew. uh i mentioned to jay i said the one thing that that blows my mind uh, about the internet and especially like Instagram and really within like the last 10 to 12 years is, um, I had a pretty cool job where I got to play in the NFL. We went to a lot of really cool places. Like I got to go to playboy mansion and like all these, you know, like what, what you'd see on TV and you would think about all these amazing places. Uh, I got to see what I would generally classify as probably the prettiest girls on the planet. And what blows my mind today is I never saw girls physically built like they are today like i mean like if you get on mm-hmm. instagram like every girl's got like a rock star body every girl like white girls have you know backsides that look like you know like olympic sprinters now and every girl is very very well put together well in our in our little like echo chamber well, of but, content I mean, but but if you look at crossfit gyms like every girl that goes to not every girl but like majority of the girls that go to crossfit gyms are all pretty fit and all pretty well put together. They know how to lift barbells and they know how to train. Like I didn't necessarily see that. And I made a joke to Jay. I'm like, you know, um, uh, uh, somebody on our branding team controls the Johnny Wad flow of mm-hmm. who it follows. And it's not me, but when I click on a Johnny Wad, <laughs> I will get stuck in the vortex of what I called amazing butts. For yeah, like, but you, you like should it's, go. It's, it's pretty, it, it, it blows my mind. Like I'll, and I, I don't log into Johnny Wad all that often. Cause I'm like, I'll lose like 20 minutes of my life just being like, my God. And it just didn't exist like that. And I think what's happened is one, the advent of CrossFit that like now there's been this change where like strong is beautiful and girls are jacked and they're really strong. And you know what? There's a whole culture of guys because it's pretty interesting. I remember uh, I was around some like uh, Olympic athletes and some girls that were super fit years ago and dudes are like, oh, that girl doesn't, you know, that girl mm-hmm. carries so much muscle. She kind of looks like a dude. I'm like, 
I think she looks great, but I've always kind of, um, that's something that because I lift weights and I know how hard it is mm-hmm. to do that. There's a character. So there's a badge of courage with that mm-hmm. or a, a badge of honor. So I always appreciated that with, with, uh, with female athletes. And now you have girls that are just go to the CrossFit gym and have normal jobs that are fucking jacked. That and lane is certainly open, dude. Like there, there's a lane with a lot of traffic in it for like the, for females out there. Um, where you, like being jacked is cool. Like, okay, and then I hear dudes right. be like, Oh, she looks like a dude. I'm like, that's fine. Well, here's Send her thing, over. I'll take like, her. To, but it, all the other lanes are still out there, buddy. Like I can tell you for a fact, I mean, look at Bo Orlando, go to his fucking university and go look at the like free yoga class on campus on Fridays and go fucking tell me that those birds are in like the muscular no, lane. Well, no. no, but I mean, yeah. uh, but if, like it's if, now socially, if the girls are going to like a CrossFit S deal and I always go back to, it didn't just impact, uh, it didn't impact. So like when I remember I, I was, uh, I went and saw the movie 300 and I was like so blown away by it. I actually just went back in and sat down and watched it a second time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, what blew me away is I was looking around at people and I was like, man, this is fucking unbelievable. Like talk about a change in culture. And the one thing that was funny is there was girls that were in there uh, sitting in the row with me and they were like, first of all, did you see those guys abs? And then the other one was they were, uh, the, uh, Leonidas's wife who's played by, uh, Cersei from game of Thrones. I can't remember her name for the life of me right now, but they were like, did you see her arms? And they were like, she was, like, but you know, like she was in as good a shape as they were. And like, all you have to know about like the Spartan moms is that like for like they either, uh, uh, like dying in childbirth was like a badge of honor. Like if they died, died in childbirth for service of the, of the state, then like they would be buried among the warriors. So, I mean, they had that culture and it was like, uh, like I said, you know, in Athens and other parts of Greece, they were like the, the Spartan mothers were coveted for the way that they raised their children. So there was like a whole deal, but it just was a, a cultural phenomenon and kind of hit everything at the right point where like, here was this movie that put strength and culture at such a forefront. And then all, you know, with this, uh, you know, story of, uh, you know, hero, um, uh, like this heroic story that it stand the test of time and this like insurmountable odds in this group. And then Hollywood brings it to light with like, what was it? Zack Snyder, like mm-hmm. crushes it out the box. And it just, you know, CrossFit, Jim Jones, and all of a sudden social media, the rise of it, and everything just was kind of a perfect storm. And I think it's really changed and created this, you know, a, a culture where it's cool to be strong. And mm, No doubt. Um, you know, and then you get, you know, guys like Rob Wolf who are, you know, the rise of the paleo diet, even though that kind of fucking went in a really weird direction real quick. Where all of a sudden you got dudes running around in fucking loincloths talking about eating raw food where it should have been just like eat off the land, eat an ancestral diet. Like oh, it why just, is that? It, well, these are really nutrient-dense foods. Hmm, does nutrient density have anything to do with it? Let's look into that. Yeah, well, yeah like, it would make sense that if you have more new macro and micronutrients per calorie, yeah. that those are the foods you should be consuming because you wouldn't hit, like, an excess caloric intake. Well, then I, 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 was, level. I always remember Cordain showing me a picture, and I've told you guys this a million times, showing me that picture of those uh, two Native Americans, and they had gone out hunting with, like, some, like, buffalo hunters. And this guy had taken a picture in front of this big bull, and on the back it, it was a little notation. These guys, like, their whole faces were covered with blood, and their guts were all distended. You could see the animals cut open. And I think the notation was on the back, uh, each one of these guys ate between 6 and 10 pounds of organ meats as soon as they killed us. So I guess they sliced it open. They went right for the liver and right for the heart and they cut it out and ate it raw. 
and they could see the blood on them. And like, I just remember him showing me the picture that he had. And this is from the 18 somethings and the notation on the back and him being like, as soon as they killed the animal, they ate the most vital pieces, which for them, the most nutrient dense and the best pieces were organ meat. And then mm-hmm. the other pieces went on and, uh, it just like, it didn't seem, and I remember, you know, and I was talking with Jay about this is, um, I remember when I met Mauro de Pasquale and Mauro sent me all of his, sent me his book and planned all of his diet. It was juxtaposed to all the information I learned in college. And all of a sudden, like I'm eating like a higher protein, higher fat, low carb, cycling carb diet. And like the change within that first year was so significant that I thought to myself, shit, if only I had like learned this information when I was 14. And, uh, George didn't talk a ton of, a ton of, uh, a ton about diet to us. It was just like, are you eating enough? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, his whole thing was just like, keep eating, keep eating, keep eating. And I wish somebody had been like, Hey, um, you know, protein is by far the most important macronutrient for body composition. You know, yeah, keep eating these foods. Yeah. Right. If there's just uh, like that second portion yeah, of the, yeah, like the conversation, it, it, you know, and, and that goes back to when I got my blood work done by Inky, mm-hmm. uh, you know, all of a sudden the Inky goes and does all my blood work and it comes back and all the foods that were green were all the foods that Morrow had recommended and all the ones that, you know, were like red and I was having allergy problems with mm-hmm. weren't the foods on Morrow's diet. And I was like, okay. And I remember just asking Inky, like, if I eat all these green foods, will I be jacked? And he's like, yeah. And sure enough. Like that stuff really kind of gave hold. And I, mm-hmm. I think there's just an interesting piece, but I mean, I like just the, uh, the access to information, training places and this, and just really the fact that people are looking at high intensity exercise, even though hit training was always out there, it was kind of fucking stupid. It was like the high intensity one set, the Mike Metzner, Penn state, you know, hammer strength deal. Yeah. And now we have this, you know, really tapping in on this glycolytic pathway, which we really only saw with like sprinters and, you know, football mm-hmm. players. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and it is harder and no one ever thought like, that civilian or just health fitness training had to be that fucking hard. But what you find out is, Hey, just make it hard for a few weeks. It'll not be as hard and you'll end up liking that. It's hard. And guess what's going to happen. You're going to get dividends paid back on that. And you're going to look fucking awesome and form follows function. You'll be a bad motherfucker and look good too. So I remember when I went and I did, uh, I went to that cross at level one and I came back and, uh, I remember telling my brother Eddie, cause it was funny. We were, I was up in, uh, Monterey. We went to old CrossFit HQ in Santa Cruz. And, uh, that night he was up there for a death penalty conference with uh, my sister-in-law. And so I go to dinner with them and I'm sitting there and we had done like, we'd been training all day and I like sat down and he's like, Hey man, you want to go out drinking? I'm like, I'm really fucking tired, dude. I want to go back to the room. And he's like, what the fuck are you talking about? I'm like, dude, they've they fucking killed us. Like we were like the whole <laughs> fucking day. I'm like, I, I must've done a million reps with PVC. And like, I talked about the workout and he's like, dude, you play in the NFL. How hard was it? I'm like, it was fucking hard. Now, mind you, this is over Valentine's day in February. So I hadn't trained for six weeks mm-hmm. and like, I didn't start my training until February and we had a whole like acclimation period. So then like the next day we get in there and I go out to dinner with him again. And he, he's like, I'm like, I'm going to go back to the room. I'm fucking tired. And so the, uh, we get home and I think it was like Monday or Tuesday. He like hits me up and he was like, Hey man, um, what's up with that workout thing? I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, I want to do one of those workouts, uh, that made you like real tired and sore. So I think I, the only one I really knew was that fight gone bad workout that we had done. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, well, let's just do that fight gone bad thing. And so all of a sudden we get through three rounds and it gives you like a minute rest in between rounds. Mm-hmm. And I see him like walk outside and he's outside by the cars and like, I'm like, Hey dude, you got like, you know, 25 seconds and I'm waving it in and he's literally like standing near his car, shaking his head. And I like had to go out there and he was going to get in his car and leave. 
and I fucking grabbed him and came in and he finished it. And, uh, he's like, I remember we got done and he's like, man, this is, uh, this is just like when we played football, this mm-hmm. is like the same shit. And, uh, all of a sudden when you put it in that context, I'm like, yeah, man, like it's just like when we played football. And, uh, he's like, man, I just didn't think that when I retired from playing football, I needed to be in the shape to play football. Mm-hmm. And I remember like us having this conversation being like, what if we could just hold that football shape for the rest of our lives would be, you know, like, could we be smart with it? How does it work? And it was just an interesting observation. Um, and I had all this kind of practical knowledge having trained with a lot of really top end people, but I didn't, but it was so small in terms of like my knowledge as me as an individual. Cause I mm-hmm. mean, I was really, it was all me about, um, me training with really amazing people and me pulling this knowledge into myself. And I had never pushed any of the knowledge out right? because I never, why would, yeah, yeah. well, why would you do that? And I remember my dad being like, you should start a website. I remember he used to tell me this. I think I've told you guys this. I'm like, well, what would I put on it? He's like, I don't know. You fucking work out all the time and go fun places. Why don't you put that on the website? I'm like, nobody be interested in that. That's shit. stupid. Yeah, that was dumb. <laughs> and I just remember, like, I think now what if in like 99, I'd said John and I just posted my workouts and pictures of like bitching places we went. Mm-hmm. I mean, what is that worth? Well, I think you would have been ahead of your time. You'd be like, this is stupid. I'm getting no fucking traffic. And then kicked it off and then would have been like a tax attorney. But there's an interesting piece. And I think what really added to my knowledge base and like, this is pretty fascinating, man. I, I like, I, when you play football, at least for me, um, it's, it's a very selfish existence. And like, I think about that in that everything's about me, like how much I had to eat, how much I had to sleep, what I had to do for my training. Like my entire day was based around me as the individual and it was, it was super selfish. And so when I see guys that play that are able to go out and do other things, like I saw, you know, Chris Long won an NFL man of the year for his water boys deal going down and digging wells in Africa. And like, I think all that stuff's great, but for me to do my job, I had to be selfish. And I wish there was a way that when I was playing, I would have figured out how to give back in a different way. Like now that we have Wade's army and we workouts in this, I just, I had the capacity to do it. I just didn't have anybody like to give direction. Like, dude, you start a charity for what? Yeah. Catalyst. That yeah, one, like that I, spark I, or whatever. I, yeah. I just needed, if somebody had been like, Hey, like if I had met, you know, Cade and Heather and like knew about Wade DeBruin, like that's something I could have done. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I had thought that people were interested in like training programs and were interested in like what I was doing for my training, uh, fuck, I would have posted it up. I mean, the shit we did with Roth, I wish I had a collection, like actually came home and wrote down all that shit we did with Raphael. Like, I think I told you, I got like I, I did like something stupid. It was like 10 pull-ups with 90 pounds between my waist. And I remember I came back like the next week and we were going to do pull-ups again. And I was going to try to do like more reps and uh fucking Raphael unbolted the pull-up rig. So I jumped up to like jump on the pull-up and the thing was fucking shaking. And I like came down. I was like, dude, it's fucking broken. He's like, no, I, un- I unbolted it. He's like, it was too easy. So now all of a sudden I had to like stabilize and I could, I I couldn't get 10 with 90. And he's like, well, yeah, fucking that's the mark then drop the weight. And then, but then we worked up like with this fucking pull-up rig fucking shaking into pieces and like those type of workouts and the stupid shit that we were doing on the fly. Like, I wish I had a collection just like what's so amazing too, with our training programs. Like I go back and I look at the stuff that, that we've done in the past. Like now that we're in Johnny football, Uh, I get to go back and revisit this 2009, 2010 and like the years. And I look and I think like, what the fuck was I thinking? Yeah, this is awful. It was Mm -hmm. basically, I I was just burning down the same movement patterns over and over and over again. And, uh, it really took like the, 
the conversation of how to foster and develop athleticism, like all those talks I did for the SEALs at Naval Special Warfare, um, you know, the talk that I did at the Black Box. I mean, all of these different pieces, us developing the methodology Mm -hmm. to really understand the technology and realizing that, you know, just basically burning down the same movement patterns over and over again doesn't do anything to foster and unlock athleticism. Yeah, Go ahead. Just going back to it all in the 300 and also we didn't know any better. Think back to the people before 300 when professionals had all these specific things. We know how to train for your goal if you're an Olympic sprinter or you're a football player. But then the normal individual, right? what goal did they, they inherently wanted more? Weight loss, like my dad ran Houston's Marathon in 1994. Why? I don't know. He just wanted to fucking do something and get out of the house from us. But right. that intrinsic motivation where in Leonidas's days it was goal protect your home expand your land something inherent within us and whether we just had this gap in the well, fitness realm and now finally it's found a home i believe it's called local, yogging well no <laughs> the, so the local competitions is like it's a football goal yeah sport well, there's inherent goals built in well but so so I, I remember when i was playing the nfl uh we would go train it like you know let's say I, I was like somewhere on vacation or we went somewhere right at time here in orange county or back you know wherever we would always go train at commercial gyms and the amount of fucking bullshit that i saw at commercial gyms like i wanted to go around and just say people and the interesting thing is the amount of questions that i would get from people that were like how do I get bigger? How do I get stronger? Like, like, fuck, like you're huge. Like, you know, like just the amount of shit. And I tell people, I'd be like, well, what are you doing for your workout? Does it look like any of the shit that I'm doing? And it never did. And I remember telling them like, like, why would you think like, I think I told you guys a story on a sidebar that I had that lady that came in, uh, who wanted to look like an Olympic gymnast. I tell you this. So I had this lady hit me up and she's like, it was right after the Olympics. And she was like, Hey, I, I was watching the Olympics and uh, I would love to be built like an Olympic gymnast. And I was like, okay, um, are you prepared to train like an Olympic gymnast? She's like, no, I don't want to do any of that stuff. And I was like, so, and this was a really interesting like conversation with her that was extremely impactful for me where I asked her, I'm like, do you think the Olympic gymnast do gymnastics to look the way they do? Or do you think that they look the way they do because they do the gymnastics and they have to fit a certain weight and this, and they allows them to do that, all those movements. And she was like, well, I just want to look like that. Can can you just train me to look like an Olympic gymnast? I'm like, I don't know how to get you to look like an Olympic gymnast without having you do gymnastics. And she was like, well, I don't want to do any of that stuff. And I was, I, it was such a weird like piece. And I, I, I told her, I'm like, you know, I think we can get you in really good shape, but like to have that level of physical development, like you're talking about girls that have been doing this stuff like three to four hours a day, five to six days a week since they were four or five years old. And then these girls are in their teens. So you're looking at like 10 years of, uh, you know, 25 to 30 hours a week, 40 hours a week, a full-time job for 10 years for the, for their full life. Okay. And then I kind of calculated the hours and I'm like, okay, are you ready to sink that amount of time into being able to do this? And I, I remember when my daughters were little, uh, we used to train at, uh, Azarian's place in, in, uh, Southern California in Orange County. And he won like a gold medal in 51. And like a lot of top Olympic gymnasts have come out of Azarian's. And I would always take the girls early cause they had their little girl class to see the big girls train. And we would always sit there and watch And uh, the amount of conditioning and work that those girls did within like their training session would make the average CrossFitter puke. Mm -hmm. Like it was incredible. And I remember the girls watching and they're like, well, why are we watching? I'm like, I want you to watch the big girls. I want you to watch the older girls and how hard they train their attention to detail and this. And I just, 
think that people look at like, I want to look like the guys in 300. All you got to do is talk to, you know, Bobby Maximus or, you know, Jim Jones or even Andy Stumpf, who was who worked with those guys and the amount of work and training that those guys did. They went to a training camp for months. The amount of I mean, they lived the Spartan lifestyle like they wanted to feed them like they underfed those guys to the point where they wanted them to be hungry. And like they had a whole, uh, you know, lead up getting those guys ready for what they wanted them to do. And then they had a short window for those guys to be able to hold their conditioning because they knew that those guys couldn't hold that conditioning for very long because, you know, with filming and all that. And it just was, you know, they hit it perfect and a little CGI and a little help. And all of a sudden now you start a revolution. But um, how about this for a reality show? You bring in just like frumpy dudes like Tex. <laughs> Sorry, I had to do it. Uh, frumpy dudes. And you put them in a training camp and like they admittedly have food like they just can't not eat junk food. They're junk food. They're sugar bears. And you basically starve them to where the point where they're so fucking hungry, they'll eat anything. And all you feed them is like the most nutrient dense food in the world. And you pair that up with their exercise and you see what fucking happens. What are we right? going to call it? Um, it uh, I don't know. Biggest yet. loser. But what I'm thinking is like, it, no, but not just starve them, allow them to eat, but you feed them like fucking good, uh, awful, awful, like organ meats. You feed them fucking because they're so fucking hungry. They'll eat anything. And you just feed them the most nutrient-dense Mountain Dew, you know, crab juice. Um, <laughs> the, the one thing which is, is kind of interesting, and I, and I saw this working with Huey. Um, so oh, what, you'd have to keep him prisoner. That's well, like no, but, yeah. but, but like Huey, like, like, I remember like one time I had a, I, I remember I had to go pick up some wheels up in like northern, like central California. And uh, I, I like had to go early and Huey's like, hey, I'll go with you. So I was like, great. I picked him up at like four in the morning because he's an early riser. And I remember we drove up to like somewhere in central California and uh, you guys know me, like I love to drive and I love to sightseat and I use like Craigslist scores like, hey, oh, this guy's got some beadlocks I want to get and I'll drive and get them. Sounds good. Where's that? Uh, uh, Wyoming. Yeah. Uh, Dallas. <laughs> when it's actually Oklahoma City. Whatever. Yeah. yeah, it's fine. Dallas, hey, Oklahoma. It's all the same. And but, you know, the cool part is I get to drive. I get to see stuff and it allows me to think. So I like today's I do. the one year of. The Great White Buffalo. Oh, is it? Is and it been the, the nine-hour drive to get Texas Roswell and back. Ah, one day. Oh, is it? Yeah, yeah. That's a good adventure. Um, but the uh, shit, Huey. Uh, oh yeah. So I, I take Huey with me, and uh, I pick him up. And like, as you guys know, uh, I'm big on like, if I have to fly on a plane or drive in a car, I fast. Like, I just don't eat until we get where we're going. And then uh, the reward is like, we got where we're going. We got what we needed. Then we can go eat. And so we're in the car and he was like, Hey, we're going to eat. I'm like, we're not going to eat until we get the wheels. And he's like, but that's like six hours. I'm like, yeah, we're probably gonna get there at 10 o'clock in the morning. We'll get the wheels and we'll get something to eat. By like eight o'clock, he had a panic attack and was like literally crying because he hadn't eaten anything. And I was like, yo man, like food runs your life. Like I don't ever want to be a slave to that. Like I don't ever want to be like if, if, um, you know, I'm, I'm not going to magically tell you that, you know, fasting will, you know, make your penis three inches longer and, you know, fix what? this. And, you know, like uh, the amount of folklore around fasting is it, it's gotten out of control. Man, I got buddies who are into it. Like, <sighs> and I, but where I'm OK with it is it's the, they're OK with the right foods. It really like it's a caloric restriction play for it these is. guys specifically. And, but and like they they think the fasting is the magic and just well, it's the caloric restriction. Like if uh, Chris Masterjohn has a um, on our 
uh, Power Athlete Nutrition. If you purchase a template, you get access into our Facebook group, which is really insightful. Uh, and people post some really killer stuff, man. This guy was asking about uh, cholesterol and some of the issues, how to lower cholesterol and some of the problems. And Chris Masterjohn, who spoke at the Ancestral Health Symposium the same year I did, did a really good thing on lipoproteins and like, you know, cholesterol and, you know, understanding how... Um, uh, triglycerides high and low both affect, you know, lipoproteins and, you know, he had really, really heady shit. And this is, you know, six, seven years ago. Uh, but he posted some stuff on there on how to lower your cholesterol. The number one is like lose body fat. Like if you have, you know, everybody's so focused on like the consumption of cholesterol and circulating cholesterol. And that's really like the red herring. It's actually the body fat. And he was talking about visceral fat versus subcutaneous fat. And he even made a comment. He's like, you know, the jiggly fat, like the rolls on you are not nearly as dangerous as like the hard old man fat packing around the organs. If you lose and drop your body fat, it will bring your cholesterol down. And he had exercise and like all the things we talk about, like sleep. And so that's all the low hanging fruit, but people are constantly in this idea like, well, I, I, you know, I don't want to eat meat or I don't want to eat this because it's got saturated fat, even though we've proved for the last 50 years that there's no correlation between heart disease and elevated cholesterol and saturated fat based off of Ansel Keys, you know, nine country studied bullshit and all the vegan scams. But yet people still buy into this stuff. And then I had, so I posted up Chris Masterjohn's, uh, one of his talks on YouTube for the, for the group. And it was like, Hey man, like if you're really concerned about high cholesterol levels, then you need to lose weight. And he even talks about, you know, the BMI for the majority of the population is an incredible predictor of a lot of things. If you're, yeah, that's what's so, I was with well, Scott Nick talking BMI the other day and, uh, but, but it's hard to cut you off. Yeah, go no, ahead, but it, it, it's true. So the BMI, even though we scoff at it, uh, for the majority of mm-hmm. the population is incredibly accurate. Now he and Chris Master John even says it. He's like, now, if you are a dude that bangs weights and you're like six, five and you have like over 30 because you carry all this muscle, like every bodybuilder on the planet is like obese with the BMI. Mm. He's like, there's a good chance that this doesn't apply to you, but you're also not listening to this. And if you are, you know, it doesn't apply to you. Right. If there's any doubt in your mind, that this BMI might not be accurate for you, <laughs> then it applies to <laughs> right, you. Right. And there's a good indication that if you're over 25, then you're, you know, overweight. And if you're over 30, then, you know, you have some problems. Mm-hmm. But he's like, there's also some ratios of like neck and waist ratio ratio to, to height and body weight that'll kind of normalize it um i wish fucking insurance companies would do the height the neck and waist they don't no no they don't why, and why but why would if you were running and why would you fucking yeah. you'd lose a ton of money well because you you would have to focus on on outliers and right. we know that for the majority let's just lump everybody in right yeah. and then you you have these outliers that sit out there but you know like you're uh, you know, and I think I posted a picture of me and it was like, uh, I was, you know, some just under six, six. And, uh, you know, this is me at 270 pounds, which puts me at like a 28 BMI. And like, at that point I was 7% body fat. I'm like, you know, but that's outside the norm of, of what mm-hmm. most people. Oh have. yeah, for sure. For sure. So, but, uh, case in point, like uh, Huey's problem wasn't necessarily like a hunger issue. Uh, it was this fact that he has this emotional connection to food. He ended up going through the lap band surgery. And he has lost a ton of weight. And the reason being is he, his stomach can only handle so much food. And then what happens is, is if he overeats, he gets sick and it comes right out of him the backside. So mm. like in a way by reducing the, uh, mm-hmm. the size of his stomach and like, you know, basically pulling the fucking rip cord to have him go to the bathroom, it's effectively, you know, slowed, I guess, absorption of, of calories and kind of done like caloric restriction yeah, for yeah. him. 
<laughs> which physical restriction, which to me, like, by siphoning that fucking food out. Uh, but, uh, but what's crazy is like, you know, I always go back to what Tom Furman said on our podcast. If you can manage a spreadsheet, you can lose weight. Like, what did you weigh? How much did I eat? How many calories did I burn? And if you can manage that level and stay in caloric restriction long enough, like I had a dude uh, on the nutrition deal the other day. Um, no, actually wasn't in nutrition, was on Facebook. Uh, Steve Bowser, our buddy from Florida, was talking about, you know, he's fat and out of shape and owns a CrossFit gym and he's got to get back in. And he was kind of like going through this like emotional montage deal. And I just said to him, like, dude, I've never been in a position where uh, I've ever got the leanest I've ever been and not been hungry. Like every time, like when I leaned out or I got sub 10% body fat, like I was fucking hungry all the time. I went to bed hungry. I woke up hungry. The only time I wasn't hungry is right after I ate. But for the majority of my day, I'm hungry all the time. But even then, like if you're in that, if you're Bowser and you're in that state after you eat, guess what? You should probably feel like you could eat more. Sure. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you should probably still be hungry. <sighs> and I, that's a weird thing. Like that, that's a weird one where you don't, people yeah, you are get, conditioned you don't get to, be to be full. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like if you're going to lean out, like, and like, I, I've like looked at, believe me, I've analyzed every piece of research out there and it's extremely hard to like lose, uh, body weight and body fat without being in a caloric restriction. So like whether or not you eat to your BMR or you overeat, if you don't train yourself into a caloric restriction, it's next to impossible to like actually make a smaller mm -hmm. organism. Yeah, I guess if you want to be full, you better be training like a fucking savage. Yeah. Right. And like, well, it's just, that's like, it's got to, you're either hungry or you're not hungry and you're training but, like an but absolute some, But savage. some people really struggle with the idea of being satiated and being full. And that's personally why I, I kind of gravitate towards more of a, you know, higher protein because protein is extremely satiating. Like, mm -hmm. um, I was, uh, there's a, I think it was on Teabag Nation or something like John Berardi had a deal where he was trying to, I think, put on muscle with a vegan diet. And the interesting thing is he's like, the amount of food that I'm eating, he goes, his gut is like distended 10 inches because of the gas. And so he's like, it's just, it's so much food to consume to even to try to get like, it's not calorically dense. But isn't that hitting his numbers, the protein he needs on paper? but negatively affecting his absorption because he's so bloated. bloated? Uh, Could be. Like if you look at like what like the most uh, easy absorption for protein looks like, um, man, like it, it, it's just like not all protein. Like, like and, and that, that's what people look at. Like they think, uh, you know, one gram of protein for pea protein is as nutritionally dense and is, is you know, as packed as like, uh, you know, one protein from let's say red meat. But we know that's not the case. Like if you too many at, variables, yeah. Yeah, if you look at absorption, you look at how it all kind of fits. Gut biota, uh, magnesium, vitamin B, like all these things vitamin affect, D. affect yeah. your ability to synthesize protein. And like even that probably fluctuates on a daily basis for people. Like if let's say you go out with your buddy who had his uh, first date on Tinder and you want to see what this bird looks like and it was well worth it and you end up drinking too much like the next day my protein i mean this person's <laughs> protein synthesis synthesis may be affected because they fucking shredded their guts yeah, you know what i mean sleep uh the other one i saw the other day was uh um anti-inflammatories like a leave tylenol sure. is affecting yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, uh like uh what is it gut biota so that it negatively affects your ability to absorb nutrients through mm -hmm. the gut like there's just a lot of key factors associated with it but I think the one comes down to like, and this is where, you know, I, hopefully we've put a good stake in the ground that, 
you know, there's a few principles for power athlete that are really just, I think, stand the test of time for my training, uh, when I was playing the NFL and that, um, you know, has stood the, the test of time for the, and I shit you not when I say this number, the hundreds of thousands of athletes that we've worked with over the globe is one protein is by far the most important macronutrient and, and by far the most important factor for lean body mass and for body composition. And that would so, be for gaining, leaning or maintaining. Yeah, like if you eat a high protein diet, how you adjust the calories is really what you're going to get into for, you know, whether or not you lean out, you bulk or whatever it is. Uh, but having a high protein diet, like how you want to kind of skin your carbs and your fats is based mm -hmm. off of your palate. So for me, I like to eat red meat. So I know that to hit my caloric load for the day and I want to eat red meat, I know I have to eat less carbs because it's going to have more fat. Now, if I wanted to go straight up Michael Hearn and eat like tilapia and, <laughs> Jesus, um, yeah. you know, and, and grouper for every meal where I can get like 80 grams of protein with like zero grams of fat, then I could probably eat a shit ton more carb to try to pick that up. Mm -hmm. um, it's just kind of a different way. And then the other one is, is, um, there is a dramatic difference between the muscle composition and the physiques of people that lift over 85% and those that don't. And, uh, dude, I remember talking with Fred Hatfield about that on the phone and I posted, uh, thinking about this the other day, I posted up what Fred said, which was, uh, if lightweights made you strong, why wouldn't we just do that? It's fucking easier. And then I posted that up on my uh, Instagram feed, on my uh, stories. And, of course, a dude hits me up. He's like, well, what do you think about all these power lifters that are doing this, this, and Cite this? Cite your sources. What's the research on that? Oh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's unreal. And it's like, uh, I don't have to, you know, believe me, like that's um, when you have a dude like Fred Hatfield who makes that same observation. And, like, he's like, ah, uh, you know, and, dude, Zeng has said the exact same shit. I remember George telling me, like, you, you remember I always joke with you guys if you're sort of like, hey, what, it's a form day. Why don't you lift lightweights? Mm -hmm. And I was like, but George, my lightweights you're always. You're joking when you tell me that? So I'll tell you guys a little secret, right? Uh, I grew up with an extremely condescending father. And that's just part of my dad was super smart, very condescending. And with it, it has sharpened my brother's and I's wits. So when I was with my brothers this weekend, dude, like we are all razor sharp. And my brother, he joked, he's like, well, not a lot of people grew up with a condescending father like us. And I was like, hence the reason we're fucking ready to cut people down in, in a moment's notice. Uh, Zangus was the same way. So maybe that's just like the, the, that generation uh, wasn't very quick to give compliments and everything was a fucking backhanded slap. And I remember I was in lifting and it wasn't looking good. And, you know, I was fucking dumping my back and all this. And George is like, you should take some weights off and uh, make this a form day. And I was like, but uh, the lightweights always look real good. It's only the bad weights that look like shit. And he's like, exactly. And so our joke now, and I saw my brother Rob, I'm like, oh, I can see you've been really working on your form. He's like, yeah, <laughs> you know, so it's like, it's just our offshoot comment. But like that whole thing is like, everybody's good at lifting lightweights. It's the heavyweights that fucking separate the men from the boys. And if it was the lightweights that allowed you to build the physique that you wanted, why wouldn't we just do that? It's so much fucking easier. You don't have to get up to the heavy poundages. And uh, that observation that George made and even, you know, Fred Hatfield made, which is like you will see a difference in the muscle thickness of people that lift over weights, 85 percent of the people that and don't. Plenty of research now that is coming out to support that, which. I always laugh at, you know, the antidotes or lessons that we were firing off on the, the old CrossFit football seminar from your your training days. And then now, finally, we're seeing these infographics or papers come out that, you know, we were providing those guidelines. Uh, I got an email or I, I got a message the other day from a dude asking why we would deadlift the day after we squatted heavy. No. CrossFit football. And, and I thought that was over. And 
no, and, no. And, and, the, and, and I asked the guy, I'm like, did you go to the old CrossFit football seminar? He said, no. And then I said to him, do you follow a power at the program or are you in the methodology? He said, no. And I said, it'd be a lot cooler if you did. Oh, great comeback. The, so I, at the NSCA. I didn't send him the uh, Matthew McConaughey fucking meme from uh, Days and Confused, but I was like, it'd be a lot cooler if you did. Mm-hmm. And he was like, sure enough, I guess if it didn't work, you wouldn't have had this success. And the problem that I fucking dude, and, and this goes back like so many years when, uh, when I asked George about it and George was always like, ah, oh, you know, like his whole thing with the deadlift, but he's like, I always thought the deadlift was more of a upper back trap kind of area. He's like, uh, you know, like, I just don't know why, you know, people would equate it to just the legs seeing as it fucking, yeah. I tend to be so, more sore in my upper back and my upper body. I'm trying. But, so what did the NSCA deadlift. say? No, at the NSCA I was presenting and it's, just a different audience than we experienced at the old CrossFit uh, circuit that we're traveling on. And I, I was speaking specifically at uh, like high school coaches, target audience there, and gave, gave bedrock lecture introduction, reset, all that good stuff, base level strength. And then the Q&A opportunity at the end, the guy was like, well, you can't deadlift the day after you back squatted. You can't do two leg days in a row. And I had forgot <laughs> that this question yes. was a question. It reared its ugly head like, yeah. We like had a Kraken. So when, when text was being onboarded, uh, uh, I had an overcoming objections document. It was a spreadsheet. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, remember. I probably I, still fucking have it. I couldn't operate it. I can't lose I know weight. I still have it. Yeah. Uh, but that what was like, like to drink water? Sure, sure enough, um, that was part of the intern role yeah. back then. was like, every question that's asked, spreadsheet it. We're going to get an official fucking answer. And then all the answers just turned into just like, fuck off. You're an idiot. I hate you. We never said that. No, it was to one another. Oh. The official answer was, are you, how old are you? <laughs> uh, oh, 30, 36. Would you consider yourself an adult? You would. We'll fucking act like an adult and drink some goddamn water. Oh, that guy. You remember? You're like, what if you put some lemon? Natalie. How about you? And then Luke's like a challenge on one word. How about you just grow the fuck up? We, we had a guy at the seminar. I was like, you know, because we always recommend like, hey, uh, at least one ounce per two pounds of body weight. Yeah. Half your body weight in ounces. Yeah. Or, but same. Yeah. yeah. And uh, the guy's like, well, I don't like to drink water. And Luke was like, well, you know, what about a little lemon in there? He's like, eh, I don't think so. And then uh, he's like, <laughs> all, you know, everybody in the room's kind of chiming in like, hey, what about this? What about this? And then finally Luke's like, how old are you? Oh, I'm like, you know, 27 years old. How about uh, you just grow the fuck up and drink water because that's what adults do. And the guy was like, oh, okay, sounds better. And I think that's where we go to these things that you have to um, take it. But like the shit that I trip out on is uh, a lot of the information that was just observational that George just kind of made over the, you know, kind of the condescending just over the cuff smart ass comments and things that I observed from you know not only him but other people that I trained with was just like these very true true things like it just and then now that's you know obviously you know people are studying it and we see more and more that now we're seeing these more come to fruition but yeah I hadn't received the uh the deadlift after you squat day and uh well I, but I but but we used to so so after we squatted we would always go pull like one or two heavy deadlifts but we did a ton of deadlift accessory work on our back day which was in the middle of the week so we would do uh, all this like fucking dumbbell, like so George would set up these uh, like kind of low boxes and we would put straps on and we would do like a dumbbell uh, deadlifts. And he had another one where we would go wide with a sumo where we'd start it between our legs and then use these hooks to kind of like roll our shoulders forward. So we would start with like a sumo pull. And then as you came over, you would bring the dumbbells across your leg, like into a standard kind of like a uh, like a farmer's carry. Right. And then when you went back down, you would roll them 
in like that sounds awesome is that a johnny bod uh yeah but the problem is is that you can't really do it without like hooks so like we would have these straps with a hook on your hand and you would use the hooks because uh the grip was extremely limited and like the straps just didn't work like the way it was kind of done so we had to just use in georgia form day with those on johnny bod we could uh but so like we did all this fucking accessory work um like the uh my favorite was part of the accessory work was always dips and so people were like well dips are a chest and thing i'm like fucking george thought that was an upper back he didn't always have us lean forward and do the dip that way so i mean uh, there was just a ton of like weird little pieces that he threw into stuff um that just kind of shaped the training in a lot of ways and um you know there was some a lot of good stuff like that and there was also a lot of bad shit like wrapping your knees at fucking 135 oh yeah you know like that was stupid. We shouldn't have done that. Um, but you know, we should make. So while you were giving regaling us with the the stories of uh, Zangus, I pulled up the overcoming object, objections document. Oh, we <laughs> have it. When, and we should. When we should do update. We in twenty thirteen. We should do uh, uh, CrossFit football Jeopardy, where I'll read the answer and you guys try to determine what the question, the question is. No, Ring it. I've read zero of these, though. So I, I, oh, I, man. I'm in. All right. Uh, this one, I, I don't know if this is going to go as well as uh, as it will. Well, I'll just cherry pick. Yeah, we'll, we'll, go, we'll try this one right here. Okay. Uh, athletes must address their limiting factors. If grip is the limiting factor, then you can use this type of grip. Accessories like belts, straps, and this type of grip should be reserved for maximal efforts, Dang. not as a crutch. Yes, Tex. What about hook grip on a deadlift? Well, what is hook grip? Mm, that is incorrect. Damn it. Oh, uh, it would be alternate hand. That is correct. Damn it. Alternate hand. $1,000, John Wilborn. This version of Jeopardy, Tex, you actually actually have to pay John these uh, money, this money. So, uh, yeah, we used to have an alternate grip, but uh, the reason that we would did that is because we were constantly training grip in the deadlift. Mm-hmm. And the well, big, hang on. The no, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's get this one. Ha- okay. Having this type of grip on the bar gives you the athlete, the ability to... Oh, no, this is... I thought this was going to be why do we have that grip on the bar. Never mind. Go okay. ahead. No, but the idea of like, hey, uh, we would always train the grip... Uh, overhand as long until it's coming out of the fingers, at which point you do the, uh, uh, what was it, uh, Hawk? Hawk over the top. Yeah, so the, from the movie over the top, what was his name? It was uh, it was Ethan Hawk. Ethan. Ethan Hawk, I think. And he would flip his hat around backwards. Uh, Ethan Hawk is definitely um, um, an actor. Ethan, yeah, Ethan Hawk is an actor. Then there's Ethan Hunt, who is, is Mission Tom Impossible. Mission Impossible. Are you ready for this one? Lincoln. Lincoln Hawk. I fucking knew it was Lincoln <laughs> so Hawk. You knew awesome. it was, you had no clue it was Lincoln. Uh, I knew it was know. Lincoln Hawk. That's now I know. That's classic confirmation, or uh, confirmation bias. Hindsight bias. bias. So Lincoln Hawk gets out there, turns the hat around, which was the alternate of the flip grip. Now, the reason that we didn't like to use the flip grip a lot or the alternate grip is because the arm that ends up getting rotated, a lot of people end up shorting their bicep and that ends up leading to bicep ruptures, which is nasty to see. Here's also a fun fact about over the top. They didn't give the sun a name. It's just sun. <laughs> oh, really? Mm-hmm. Next question. There's no fucking way you guys are getting this one. <sighs> the, the paraphrased answer is... Who was the lecturer around this? It's not marked. Paraphrased answer to this question was, 
What the athlete is training for always takes precedence. There is no secret squirrel program uh, that combines two programs to build a better athlete. Stick to one program for at least 16 weeks and evaluate the results after that. There's no way you're going to get the, the answer or the question for this answer. So I'm just going to read it. How can you best combine CrossFit football oh, and, and CrossFit? Oh, and <laughs> <laughs> so, dude, I used to get all the time CrossFit football and CrossFit endurance. I, does Outlaw even exist anymore? Uh, it does. I, go, I was Google stalking a man re, within recent memory. So, it, it's, what was Rudy's name? Rudy Neil, Nelson? Yeah, Neil, Nielsen, maybe. Nielsen? Yeah. He's, Is I, heard, he still- I heard some sketch reviews of his events. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But he hasn't had uh, events in years. Right. Right. That's my understanding. But I think he's still out there doing his programming. Nice. Um, okay. How about this one? In the collegiate template, yes, you will do this. In the amateur one by five, shit. No, you will not. The eccentric is an excellent tool to reinforce the movement and wire up the CNS. One more time. I was looking up the outlaw way. We haven't seen a post in over a year. I think it's dead. In the collegiate template, yes. In the amateur template, no. The eccentric is an excellent tool to reinforce. Oh, dropping the bar. That is correct. Yeah, yeah. Dropping the, drop the bar in a deadlift. Yeah, so we would have the collegiate drop the bar, whereas we would want the amateur to uh, eccentrically load the bar and place it quietly on the ground so that we can effectively build muscle in the deadlift because at that point uh the eccentric load is much more damaging and much more important for muscle building than the concentric all right and it's also double learning let's see if mcquilkin gets this the answer to this question is stinky cheeses (laughs) no joke in this document whoever wrote this is fired (laughs) there was a question that necessitated the answers Stinky cheeses. Uh, uh, it was a nutrition question, raw, obviously. Raw dairy. Okay, so John, you're zeroing in. You're, and you are as well. It was a nutrition question. So the question must have been what? What kind of cheese is best? Is do you want to consume? What cheese is acceptable? On yeah, the power and, and, and I think Luke put stinky cheeses. <laughs> that would have been probably me responding. Yeah, that, <laughs> that's a Luke Summer stinky cheese. So here's lecturer Luke. Yeah, all right. Well, man, there's fucking only. There's 400. Only, there's only 89 logged questions. Well, I, I'll tell you this, man. The one that we fought against the most was uh, uh, definitely was the deadlifting on the second day. And then the other one, which was important, was um, convincing people that pushing the workouts, uh, you know, out past that 10 minutes and kind of you know, like what I did with, uh, you know, with the original CrossFit football programming is I added like, let's say two or three, you know, let's say you take a triplet couplet, two or three movements by making the reps a lot shorter and adding more sets. I could have like, do something heavy, move on to the yeah. next one, like a play. And it didn't, uh, effectively cause the conversion of fast twitch muscle fibers to slow twitch muscle fibers to be able to handle a sustained amount of work. Mm-hmm. Um, they also, the found that, you know, lifting light weights really fast, uh, you know, can help in terms of building muscle. There's some really interesting kind of research on that, but at the end of the day, uh, lifting heavy weights. <laughs> yeah. And it was, so we were going back to, you were talking, man, 25, 30 minutes ago, John, about like, we have these lenses and principles now through the power ethic methodology that have evolved through just careful review of what we're doing, what we're doing, review, 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 research. 
But at that time, it was mostly like mapping time domains, right? Like yeah. time domain was super, super important, which I think was helpful. And, you know, just out of creativity, you had a mixture of our primals in there, right? Um, but like you said, man, you get seven to 10 second bursts at a movement. Heavy. You know what that's called, right? Uh, CrossFit football. General specific training. Oh, yeah. GSP. So from our original. So this was a really the second pyramid. Ah, oh, this was, uh, I remember, there was the CrossFit football pyramid and then <laughs> the other pyramid. <laughs> so I was trying to figure out how to explain CrossFit into like a strength conditioning paradigm. And, uh, the only thing I could think strength. of was like, you have your, uh, you know, general physical, your GPP and you have your SPP. So your, you know, specific physical preparedness, and your general physical preparedness. And my con- and my thought was, what if we were to take general movements and mix them mix them within specific time domains? And I was like, what about general specific training? And that's where that came from. And I used to teach that at the seminar. And Tex is like, I thought it was genius, but it made complete sense. Oh yeah. So the pyramids. So John, here's every line you've ever said in a lecture. <laughs> this is how oh, I prepared. Okay. Yeah. Good. I'm John Wellborn. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, different than John Wellborn, a that French guy. Yeah, man. I mean, some of these documents that are in the archive, man. I bet people would fucking kill for some of this shit, man. Yeah. Like, uh, do, do you remember helped. when I gave that nutrition talk and I talked about time travel and space and all uh, that? The three-hour one at Valsa uh, Power at no, Power Athletes, and at I power remember uh, Eric. Uh, Eric. Oh no, yeah, it was at Power Athletes. Eric from CrossFit HQ came over, and he's like, "That was the other I, nutrition lecture where you talked about time travel." I've <laughs> never heard anybody go that far off of the rails and somehow pull it back. Yeah, and he's connecting like, it was amazing. like the the, uh, the drought and blaming it on almonds leading to time travel. Some Hillary Clinton politics in there because it was right around the election, and then just told us what to eat. Yeah, yeah, just tell you what to eat. It's uh, it's simple. Three hours. Yeah. <laughs> ah, well, I, I remember I hadn't been on a seminar in a long time. And when that happens, I like to stretch my legs a little yeah. bit. You <laughs> know, kind of like in the other guys when, uh, you know, Will Farrell's like, Gator needs some walking around money. He needed to buy some new shoes. And uh, that's what I wanted to do. I just wanted to stroll around and get some new shoes and uh, take it for a spin. You know, I didn't get to talk that much. We got it on tape. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I, w- I was honestly thinking about that because... I guess all the audio lectures still in drive mm-hmm. and through like my recording app, even Nobody though I changed phones. Stuff. Nobody needs that stuff. I don't know. That's I mean, a- they're going to have to get released at some time, <laughs> you know, whether it's like a hundred years from now and loving memory of John Wellborn. Oh God. Featured guest of power at the radio. Well, <laughs> you, well, you know that the world's going to end in 12 years. So we only got 12 more years, man. They've been saying that forever. I've been there for uh, every countdown. Well, yeah. I, I figured no, for, I we just, just saw, release one. I just saw it the other day that we, if uh, we don't change um, our dependent on fossil fuels and this, that so we got 12 more years. So I'm just going to budget for 12 years. What do you think? Okay. I'm in. And, so and, like and, literally budget. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, I'm budgeting for 12 years. So, yeah. All right. So now that we're going back in the archives, I've kind of got stirred up. Let's find the hate mail that John sent to Denny. Oh. For episode one. (laughs) Episode one? (laughs) (laughs) The cease and desist. Oh, shit. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Hey, you could have fucking told me that we were starting a podcast. Luke, did you ever get a uh, negative review at a seminar? Me? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Russell Burger gave me one. Oh, man. And then other than that, 
Um, but that I think I've reflected on that, that that like at first was like, fuck that guy. But then it was some valid shit in there. Like that was that one for whatever reason stung. But then like yeah, I went back and looked back and like, yeah, all this shit is pretty legit. Well, so. y- you know what? I I think at the time we just thought he was an angry little man, which he is an angry little man. And I think I mean, he's what, four feet tall. So it's even weirder that the fact that he's like, you know, kind of built like a hobbit. But uh, I think where we were a little pissed off is because the like it you know we take a lot of pride in the content but none of his critique was about our content no it was about the lack of their content yeah it right? was it, it was about that i didn't pay like i wasn't kissing glassman's tip and i wasn't paying homage and he had a problem that i didn't count glassman as a influence which is pretty accurate cuz i never trained glassman um, and you know, I mean, when we did I try to have a training talk, he drank a dozen beers and fell asleep and poured a beer on himself. And I probably should have taken a picture, but I was too big a bitch to do it. Um, it just, I didn't really have that influence in him. Like I know Rob trained with Glassman and had a, you know, better kind of relationship with him in that way. But, uh, all of his comments were about us kind of avoiding discussing CrossFit and I remember telling him, like, why should I have to constantly be doing this kind of pinging justification deal? And that's what they wanted to know. And you know what? Surprisingly, uh, you know where it got him? Fired. Hmm. Which I always thought it was kind of bullshit, too. Um, I always thought it was kind of fabricated. He probably just wanted to pull the ripcord. So he probably said something and they got rid of him. You know? Which, yeah, which, I was, yeah, that was an interesting one. But I'm trying to think of if, like, any civilians gave me what? shitty enough reviews. To yeah, I got one. Your in. excessive cursing. Uh, that oh, was you, cheese stick. On the that finale. was you, cheese, cheese stick. <laughs> <laughs> you were the one that were dropping F-bombs like nobody's business. No, I talked to the Flaherty's, and I'm like, hey, do you remember any sort of excessive cursing? And they're like, only John, really. <laughs> I don't think so. Don't ask him that. <laughs> You, I'm not kidding you. For some reason, like you don't use a lot of profanity uh, in your everyday, but when you get in front of a group of people, it's just f bomb, f bomb, f bomb. What are you fucking talking about? <laughs> you fucking hack, man! I can't find this email. Well, whatever. So, long story short, for any new listeners who haven't gone back and listened to every episode, God, I feel bad for those who have. The very first proof of concept was pushed out on the Cross Football site, just like a an audio file to download from like some website and you know it was we rushed it it was during a seminar i forget exactly which seminar i was at but john wasn't traveling i was i stepped away at lunch did this podcast with some og cross footballers denny k and steve Plattick, who also were the hosts for the first couple hundred first couple dozen episodes of this show and um yeah, it got pushed out. People loved it. They're like, oh, just keep this format for the next 300 episodes. Please, please keep it like this. And John's like, well, they can't have success without me involved. I'm going to send them an awful, hateful cease and desist letter and uh, put this stupid podcast to bed. <laughs> Burn it down. And then poor Denny K and Platic, like, were texting me frantically, like, dude, well-worn sicking his lawyers on us. Like, what are you talking about? And then, like, f- pulled up my email, and you're like, hey, what's going on here? What Are you there? Hello? And I hadn't checked the fucking email because <laughs> I was teaching a seminar all day. And uh, that was the birth of, that was the tumultuous birth of CrossFit football, or uh, Power Athlete Radio. Yeah. And then from then on, we, man, we just kind of found a free 30 minutes to talk about 
stuff. And then we were really struggling for guests for a while. And man, and then ultimately McQuilkin took over. No, it was and Kelly. Here, or Kelly took over. Yeah. yeah. Kelly, like, she's like, oh, you guys know, I kind of listen to podcasts. Uh, I know how this like, should work. I don't even have a TV or radio. All I do is listen to podcasts all day. We're like, all day? How I'm many like, How many a day? She's, she's like, like I don't know. seven to 12. And we're like, what? She's like, I listen to long form, listen to micro podcasts. And so Callie came on and, um, you know, was like, hey, we're going to get this thing fucking buttoned up. And uh, she was really the steward on this deal and got us kind of rolling into this podcast game. Yeah. I just thought we'd be way more successful by now. I mean, six or seven people, you know. Are you kidding me? We are the self-proclaimed premier podcast in strength and conditioning. For those six or seven people, this is <laughs> this is it. This is it. You can ask, hey, ask Google, ask Alexa, what is Power Athlete Radio? Yeah, that's a funny one. Yeah, and they'll tell you it's the premier podcast in strength and conditioning. Ing? Ing. 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 I think it does it say ing, ing, ing? No. Uh, we got to no. better fix that. Oh, we, yeah, we <laughs> yeah. Uh, I just like that Harry keeps getting those emails. Yeah, I, I'm trying. I can't find. I had a review one time that was so bad. CrossFit took their name off of it. It was yes. in Tampa. I do remember this. Uh, the actually they scrubbed who the uh, email was from because normally when we got negative reviews, I would usually email the people. They scrubbed the email off, and uh, then they called me and were fucking losing their mind because I think you had Ruiz come. Oh and yeah, that's he was what pursuing was. Ungratis. And, uh, yeah, that was, uh, but they scrubbed the name, which I thought was a bitch move, but like they always did the fucking wrong thing. They always did the bitch move. Like that's the one thing which has been pretty interesting about, uh, cross at HQ is they usually always do like the wrong thing. Um, you know, like it just, it blows my fucking mind, uh, that they've been as successful as they are. But at the end of the day, man, people love the training. People want to bang weights and it gives them an identity. And I mean, yeah. I'm trying to think, man. I, um, I have had to have fucked up. I mean, there's no way. There's no way I would have got away with clean slate on the seminar racket. Something no, I must I know have you done. Didn't. I mean, every, everybody got negative reviews. I remember the very first paid one that I gave at uh, Tennessee Tech. Um, you know, CrossFit HQ was so funny, man. I remember they all like uh, it was like Nicole, Dave. Uh, like the whole like five of them all show up <laughs> and I remember they all showed up in their own black SUVs so there was like five identical black SUVs because none of them ride together and they all get like the most expensive car and then we show up in like this minivan and we all pile out of the minivan and uh, they were all like you know like I guess part of the thing was we started eight I guess you're supposed to be there by seven to greet people and coffee and hand jobs and the whole deal well, we show up at 7 30 which I guess you know is uh is not how you're supposed to do it for the eight eight o'clock so we show up but we'd already been there for like four or five days working with the team and training a bunch so we show up for the seminar and uh they're all there and they're fucking like on it and I for the very first talk got up there and gave the what is cross of football and just really gave a shitty performance like it was very kind of I mean, I'd never given it before because of the initial one. Um, I didn't give it. I just got up and talked about, you know, who I was and the training and what we were going to do. And so then I felt like there needed to be this what is cross of football and kind of define it a little bit. And I gave up with the GPP, GSP, you know, uh, SPP talk. And it was not very well polished. It was not very well done. I was nervous in front of the group and Glassman and all these idiots are sitting in. And like midway through my talk, like 10 minutes in, he just gets up and leaves. And just like rolls out and gets in the car and leaves. 
And then like the other HQers like got in the car and all left and we never heard from them again. So I think he was probably like a little worried, like, oh, this is going to be really good. And then we realized how bad I sucked. They just fucking left. Mm. There was no feedback. There was nothing like, hey, you know what? You might need to do this. It was as if uh, they were like, oh, this is awful. It'll fucking peter out and die. And, uh, and, and I realized at that moment that they were never going to be allies in this whole thing, that it was, they were going to fight it tooth and nail, um, because that's just their fucking MO. Like I've, and I, I was confused cause I mean, why does somebody ask you to do something and actively put you in position to do something only to try to sabotage it at every fucking turn? Yeah. But that's what they did. And look at us now, bitches, 300 episodes in. Premier podcast strength and conditioning. No, but like it, it, it's, it's such a weird thing, man. Like, cause, uh, what I really appreciate about the CrossFit market has always been the community. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I kind of really appreciated the us versus them that there's this fucking just dumbass uh, mode of training of eating and just of just ridiculousness out there in the fitness realm. And, uh, when I originally came to the CrossFit, you know, seminar and I saw what they were doing, it looked more authentic and then it just went off the fucking rails and just became ridiculous. Well, you know, I, there was a concept I tried to flesh out. Fuck. And then now I just like, who gives a fuck? It was maybe 2014, like the, the 12 shades of CrossFit, right? That people cannot distinguish without context. There's CrossFit, the mothership there's CrossFit, like as it was at that time, there's CrossFit, the original I guess leadership and influencers, CrossFit. There's CrossFit, the micro gym. There's CrossFit, the local network. There's CrossFit mainstream, what you would see in like magazines and what they, what the mothership wants to push forward. There's CrossFit, the competition. Like there's all these, when someone says CrossFit and don't qualify or provide context to what they're referring to, it could be any of these things, right? And in, for the most part, our dealing was with like CrossFit, the mothership, because there's CrossFit, the local gym. That's pretty fucking cool. and can be pretty switched on and they don't have to be dipshits. <laughs> right. And like, it's ultimately for us, you know, it's an entryway for coaches. It's an entryway for athletes. It's, it's broadening perspectives. It's breaking down the barriers of what fitness has to be. I mean, this, and I'm talking back in like 2014 where people were like, still just wasting fucking 90 minutes at a gym where if you just lift some heavy weights, as long as you're doing the right kind of quote unquote CrossFit, right. And what we would probably say is like CrossFit football. Um, then you're going to put yourself or whoever you're putting that through in a pretty good position, but people never provided context. And that's why I think that it was so fucking confusing. And there was such a like dichotomy and divide between people. Why, while I, like traditional strength and conditioning folks who are high school coaches, collegiate strength coaches well, were like, fuck CrossFit. And it's well, like, well, hang at, on now. Look at Buddy Morris got up at that talk and fucking 100%. wanted to rip on CrossFit football. And then the, the 12 shades of CrossFit. And like he thought it was part. one thing. And then but, he's getting up and talking about glycolytic capacity and all this other shit. And it's I like was you're like, talking about CrossFit, the quote unquote, like let's call yeah. that the methodology as loose as you want to put it with the big black well, box he, mystery. But he was, uh, he was at a point where you know, if uh, if soccer moms are doing it, then it can't be legitimate strength conditioning, mm-hmm. which we know is fucking bullshit. Because I'll tell you this, uh, I have seen uh, moms of two and three kids that I'll put into any fucking strength conditioning gym in America or any collegiate strength conditioning. Like I would gladly take my wife and drop her off at, at Calorie in those places. And she would fucking not only crush those people, but put on a clinic doing it. Uh, and I like 
any of the, the, the CrossFit, like what I would say, like the, the top end CrossFit girls, um, you know, like the, the girls you see on the podium who are out there training, like, um, you know, the gal from Australia who's won, what's her name? Claire, uh, Tia Claire Tudor. Yeah, yeah. I mean, dude, she goes in, you know, competes in the Olympics. I mean, she could probably walk into just about any weight room here in the United States for any division one school and pair up against just about any of their athletes and fucking hold her own. So, uh, there is like this, I guess in text you see it too. I guess there's a bit of arrogance that, Oh, we're at a prestigious university and we look down your mind and, you know, these people are these plebeians that are in these little micro gyms, just doing fucking, you know, fitty type stuff. When in reality, like, the uh, capacity, dedication, attention to detail, all the other shit is something that they would strive for for their athletes. Yeah, I always, it was a very interesting times because I would get f- basically harassed in a, in, a, in a college weight room and then go and teach these seminars on the weekends. And then, you know, the NSCA would be attacked there. And I'm like mm-hmm. trying to defend both in both situations and scenarios. And they there was some hate that was completely unnecessary. I'm like, we're all talking about strength and conditioning, bettering people and empowering people. But there was just well, it's, it's, a it's, lot of no context. Well, it's, it's leadership's, it, leadership's attempt, in my opinion, to own it all and label it all and have it all fall with under the, with under or under their umbrella of, of influence. And, you know, maybe that's ego, maybe it's pride. Maybe it was a play to get rich. Who knows what the, the motive there was. But <laughs> in that sense is like, everybody's trying to fucking own it. Instead of just understand it and push it and spread it. I, I think there was a, just a lack of understanding. Mm-hmm. Well, because it's very um, open-ended. I mean, if you were to sit and try to explain to a strength coach, hey, uh, you know, we're going to do a, sty- a style of training that's based off of increased work capacity, broad time, modal demands. We're going to do, you know, uh, functional movements performed at high intensity. And they'd be like, what the fuck is that? How does that translate to our sport? Well, we're going to get people as strong as they can with, let's say, like anywhere from one to five reps in compound movements, like a squad, you know, this. And we're going to go up and we're going to make sure people can run and change direction. And like we were to like explain the pieces. The problem is, is that for the standard strength conditioning, you know, professional to hear this Glassmanian fucking speak, which only Greg speaks in these weird fucking, you know, vernaculars. Uh, it was confusing. And then the problem is, is when you get uh, an organization that comes in that hard, that is constantly like, I'll tell you the one thing Glassman was really good at is drawing lines in the sand. This is who we are. That's who they are. And they're the enemy. And uh, like, instead of coming in and I remember him telling me like, you know, your job for CrossFit football is to go in and be able to convert all of these individuals into, you know, this style of training. And I remember thinking, like, if you hadn't pissed on everybody's fucking shoes, it would have been a lot easier. But, you know, that's not, you know, that's not his deal. I remember when we discussed, uh, you know, business, he's like, you know, like, what kind of business uh, strategy do you subscribe? And I was like, high tide rises all boats. He's like, mine's more like battleship. I have to sink you to win. And I remember thinking, like, fuck, I shouldn't, I should probably go to law school. I should get the fuck out of here. <laughs> and uh, a tax attorney. Yeah, I should, well, or a criminal events attorney where <laughs> I, I could fucking, you know, defend him for all his DUIs. Um, but the idea of, like, that idea of, like, man, like, um, 
I think there's a way to do a social revolution. People do it violently. Other people kind of, you know, get in there and it's like a submersive deal. I'm going to road you from underneath. And, uh, you know, I think that there's a huge problem in this country with obesity and sickness. And, you know, the couch has killed more people than anything. And like a lot of the uh, information is pretty accurate. I just think that it's very hard to convert people when you're constantly fucking trying to kick them in the balls. And it's like, ah, like, I don't need to somehow like for me to be right, you don't have to be wrong. I just have to influence you in a way where like, I mean, case in point, like the vegans, like we're never going to go in there and and, like argue and like uh, argue with somebody who's a vegan and a diehard in this. We're never going to be able to convince them that the what they're doing is wrong. Like, it's not good for the planet. It's not good for health in this. They've bought into this hook, line, and sinker. They are going to have to go through, an, uh, like, a period of sickness and, and have some real issues where their life is in fucking danger for them to be able to make a wholesale life change. Like, we're never going to argue with them. Like, it's just, I mean, I can give them Peter Bowerstead. I can give them Rob Wolf. I can give them uh, fucking Michael Rose. You can give them this, you know, Matt Lalonde. You can give them the smartest people on the planet. And it will never convince them that well, what they're doing is proper. And, and then they go back to this ethical article or this yeah. ethical deal, which we've already proved is the most blood soaked diet is one from, from the, the vegan deal. And like that whole thing that I posted, like their argument will keep switching, keep switching. And it just, you'll never convince them. Well, it's, it comes back to the book you're, you have me read and that you all read from Scott Nick the coddling of the American mind is just dismissing conventional wisdom, right? Like that is got, that is like an automatic response here is okay. So you're giving me all of these fucking researchers. Well, researchers are the problem. We're dismissing that, that category of information. So there's a, there's a pretty, there's a, I think Adam Campbell sent me a deal where there's a, a, a documentary or something on flat earth. Oops. Did I watch it last night? I did. Oh, did you? Yeah, I, I haven't watched did. it yet. I did. So what's pretty interesting is, is it? so it's the same. It is the same, um, thing that we watched with all like the, the travel, the work. No, no, no. It's the same the, as they, these individuals are explaining the premise for their belief of a flat earth. It is the same song and dance as the vegans, as the vegans dismiss conventional wisdom. Uh, then, discredit the expert and like it's just so i I watched an interesting piece uh on you're gonna love this that the flat earth hypothesis in this whole movement was started as a cia uh like a a deal for like mind control Mm -hmm. to basically put like um what was it it was like uh to create uh shadows of doubt and shreds of like you know, this is improper and like just to like create doubt in general into things that are commonly accepted as fact that if they can get enough people bought into thinking that the world is flat when we know it's not flat, then that allows other things to be put in in the same deal that they were like, we know that there's round. We can see other planets and know they're round. It would, is, is it just a by accident that they're all facing us on their round plate? Like it's just it's pretty interesting. And like all the information that we have. It's a spinning quarter. <laughs> <laughs> I've already disproven John's beliefs. Okay. It's a spinning quarter. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Spinning disc. Okay. Then what's on the other side? What do you mean? Tails. <laughs> Mountains. Like like what's on the other side? Oh, and there's also a uh, a big wall that goes around. We're like a big wall. We're we're working on that. Yeah. yeah. Outside so, of the wall are other so, discs. But <sighs> so, so, so the idea is that 
if you can create doubt in something that's so commonly accepted, Mm -hmm. then it's going to be easier to create doubt and program people. So it's basically a mind control thing. Which that's the very defense attorney of you. Well, let uh, me let me go ahead and say, John, if that's the strategy and the CIA is looking like looking now at their at their like recruitment roster, they're probably really disappointed because the people highlighted in this fucking documentary uh, are like they, they're crazy people. Dude. So if you read uh, Legacy no of Ashes, threat. if you read Legacy of Ashes, uh, which basically outlines all like the CIA and all their problems and all their fuck ups mm-hmm. and everything, you'd probably not believe that this is this, you know, influential, that there's not some like magical dude behind the curtain. Or it's just strings. par for the course and they fucked it up again. And like Maybe. all they're doing is recruiting people that are like, that's crazy. It's, it's something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's something like, it, you know, the, uh, I'll just, I'll tell you this. Uh, one of the smartest people I've ever met, Ken Ford, uh-huh. uh, is a member of the flat earth society and they meet and they basically bring in these people and they lambaste them. It's kind of a big hoax. And, uh, it's pretty epic. Like, I mean, he's, you know, sat on a, you know, a DARPA funded research group for NASA and the whole thing. And is like, ah, yeah, like, like this has become a real thing. And it, it, it just, I think the problem comes down to is that, uh, people think that there's like a large cons- you know, government conspiracy with everything because a lot of things have been proven like case in point, fossil fuels. They attached the idea that there was, you know, uh, organisms that lived and it compressed into this oil and fossil fuels is like the um, is the byproduct of all these, you know, uh, what was it like? I, th- I think it was um, vertebra compressed. Yeah. And you remember that whole thing? And, you know, these are our fossils coming out as fossil fuels. So there's a finite amount when like we've disproven that that's not really a deal. That was a huge scam. And oil is probably just the lifeblood of this planet. And it's an endless supply. It's mm-hmm. not going away. So, so. Part, it, without spoiling it. So I suggest everybody watch this documentary. It's 90 minutes. It's worth it. It's pretty funny. Um, you know, that w- one of the flat earth, um, like, premier advocate influencers one of the original dudes i forget his name is goes on this fucking 15 to 20 minute diatribe about how he came to be a believer and he's talked about this eight hour evening where he sat for eight hours straight watching a flight tracker after he had seen that video where it's like on a flat earth every flight pattern from south america to europe is straight if you do the flat earth map but if you do it on a globe it you know it's a connecting flight and it's very like circuitous and they never cross the ocean he's like and i watched and i watched and i watched and then like someone else is telling the story and this is very dramatic like we got them. We fucking got everybody. We have this this evidence. Hard cut to uh, astrophysicists, astrophysicists from Caltech. And she goes, oh, the flight map thing, huh? Okay, um, follow me. She sits at her computer. She goes, flight tracker on Google. Opens it up. And she's like, oh, look at all these flights flying across the Indian Ocean. <laughs> this is a very easy experiment. I'm doing it right now. It took three minutes. Okay, what's next? You know, so it's like, yeah, it's, it's just cherry picking people, of data. People will hear that, run with it, and never fucking. How many people truly are flat Earth dudes and chicks out there who like say this flight tracker thing and never fucking watch the flight tracker? You know what I mean? Oh, like just, never is validated, never validated, and then which is ultimately the hypocrisy of the whole thing that they're claiming the quote unquote globe cards are doing is they've never seen they've never seen a globe from space. So they can't possibly say that it's a globe. Well, that and also the, um, you know, the fact that like there's nobody up in the space stations is just mm-hmm. in some weird uh, studio studio somewhere. I mean, like it's 
like the other one I saw the other day is that the uh, the Challenger uh, explosion that they had was uh, was faked, and mm-hmm. that all those people are still alive, and it was showing pictures of them now. And I was like, it looks convincing, uh, other than the fact that I was a little kid and I saw the Challenger blow up. So, uh, but it, you know, am I looking for some large scale government conspiracy to, you know, ID that the Challenger people, you know, didn't die in that thing? I don't know, dude. And, and another non spoiler, they kind they they feature these people, and this also understand that this could be like shockumentary work, you know, like where they've they've only selected uh, to tell the stories of certain people in this deal of the flat earther believer and like every single one is like divorced lost custody of children (laughs) has no one and then found flat earth and now all of a sudden has a community of people who don't give a fuck that you're a crazy person just that you align with their crazy ass beliefs oh shocker and like it's created sounds like the vegans it's created this like uh what what do they call it in the the in again the coddling of the american mind like uh uh ideology mesh or like like the matrix of values value matrix across the internet well it's uh it's called identity politics that like uh you know no longer is like your ability to like listen to somebody's politics or what they believe and then identify with them now it's because you and i are of the same you know race or creed or we share this now we have to share the same belief structure because like hey we're both white so then we have to both believe that uh you know uh we should be wearing make a uh, maga hats and believe in trump when that's totally not who we are based off of who you know right. our skin color so the idea of identity politics is extremely dangerous because then what it's doing is it's lumping people by socioeconomics by color all these other extraneous factors into political buckets instead of allowing people to be intelligent enough to hear the information coming out and discern what they want to believe in. And, and then the other one is, is um, now if somebody doesn't believe what you believe, then there is no common ground and you have they they're your mortal enemy. Case in point, my wife and I uh, disagree constantly on politics. Uh, her belief system is way different than mine. And yet we're married and we raise kids and we have this. Uh, but when we go in and start battling on this political stuff, like it's uh, like my thing is this. Um, I do not believe that the information that we are presented uh, through the media and this isn't I'm, I'm not a fake fucking news Trump person by any means. But I believe that we are given a version of information that has gone through a extensive filter. Case in point, uh, if you want to see what's going on in a general globe, um, you know, environment, you have to look at other news stations and other places Mm -hmm. like you either look at the BBC and Algiers and other places to see it. Like I was fascinated by the fact that like the yellow vest riots are going on in France and they're burning fucking Paris to the ground. And like they, you know, authorized the uh, French police to be able to use weapons against citizens. And like you're seeing this fucking melting down and it's nothing. There's they are not showing anything anything on any news station here in the u.s like that is a fucking huge thing to me and like i've always said like the information that we are presented whether it be uh by you know whatever lens is is um is manipulating us like they put through what they want for their lens so you have let's say you know this news agency is uh you know predominantly owned and run by these individuals that have this political view they're only going to show you that like there is no unbiased view well it's, it's and, their, and i think what's, they're, well, not that they only will but they'll be 
they're likely compelled to show you that, right? So, so what you almost have to do, and this is where I argue with my wife, is you have to read like the Breitbart's and you got to look at the CNN and you have to like look at both sides of this, like figure out who the mo- most far right is and who the most far left is. And then you realize it's probably somewhere in the middle. And so my whole thing is uh, I don't like I'll give an example. So when um, the was it Jose Smollett, the black dude who had the hate crime where he was, you know, lynched and alleged, alleged uh, the actor from Empire. So when I saw that came out, um, much like the Native American deal with the MAGA hat kid, I said the exact same thing. I'm like, dude. Uh, I heard Stand all these by. people. Yeah. yeah, I was Stand like, by. I was like, hold on, hold your horses. Like, dude, like this is a false narrative. And I've been telling you guys for years, what's going to happen is somebody's going to film something or do something. They're going to create a false narrative and they're going to get it through YouTube and all these channels and people are going to attach to it. And it's not going to be accurate and it's going to be driven or it's going to be used as a political tool to spark up uh, a ton of bad shit. And so my comment to people is whatever you see, don't pass judgment. Give it a couple days. Like when that thing with like the kid came out and everybody was like, this kid is this. And, you know, now all of a sudden sitting there with a smug look on your face is by far. And I'm like, in this fucking state in the world, a 13 or 14 year old kid wearing a red hat with a smug look on his face is fucking uh, uh, punishable by death, which blows my mind as disrespectful as people are. Um, so that whole thing. And I was like, ah, this seems like bullshit. And sure enough, the whole story came out. And then when all of a sudden this, and then all these people that were ready to burn this kid at the fucking stake, all of a sudden I'm like, whoa, this deal with, with that guy came out. And I was like, so you're telling me in Chicago, this, uh, very, you know, well-to-do actor is walking around at two o'clock in the morning at like negative 19 degrees. Like there was just a lot of like interesting pieces of that. And I was like, man, that's, uh, I'm going to reserve judgment on this. And even Bobby Maximus, Bobby went into this whole thing about hate crime and this. And I want to hit him up. And I was like, yo man, like if anything that we've learned is that we're being manipulated. So you have to put an intelligent lens and say, Hey, I don't know how this whole thing's going down, but I'm going to wait till we get more information before I pass judgment. And people are so fucking quick to throw a fucking stake in the ground and, and uh, fucking burn people at that stake. And I'm just like, dude, we are being, uh, we are being given a version of the information that is through a tinted lens. And when that happens, you have to reserve your opinions and your actions until you get all the information. And uh, it's just when I say these are dangerous times, it's dangerous times because people are very emotionally based. And that coddling of the American mind goes into extensive talk about the number one fear because and I'm holding a cell phone, holding it up and showing it to the guys because the world is in my pocket. Now, things that were no longer an issue that weren't an issue. We grew up like ISIS kills people. Therefore, I can see this. Now I have fear of ISIS. Is ISIS coming to Austin, Texas? Is ISIS a real fear for my kids? No, but it's become, Come get it. it's become this thing where uh, fear and safety becomes the predominant uh, factor, And that's what that whole deal is about, that mm-hmm. it's not about going and exchanging ideas and growing your mind and becoming uh, a more evolved person. It's about fear and safety. And it goes back to the idea mm-hmm. of if, if your words cause me stress and that stress is harmful, then your words are harmful. And now those words are weapons. And what I was told when I was a kid where sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me is not fucking true today. Now, words are weapons and people use them and they're more damaging than all this other stuff. And then the other problem, too, is if I don't agree with your lifestyle. Now you're a bigot, a racist, and, and, and you hate me. And I'm like, dude, there's a lot of shit I don't, I, I disagree with. I don't, I disagree with the fact that Luke doesn't wax and wash his car very often. 
I don't like how much trash is in your car, but does that make me dislike you? Am I judging you? Do you hate me? One more does I job. Hate you? One last job. John, you put that trash in the back of my truck <laughs> to go <laughs> that's to, a, to the dump. That's a true statement. Uh, what I valued from the book, it forces you back into communicating with people, not accepting news and then talking about how bad the news is, talking to Luke talking to or forcing conversation well, amongst teenagers. But that's what we don't do anymore. But we don't want to, but, but we don't want to encourage encourages uh, parents to do now is take a look at their kids, take away their screen time and then appreciate, I guess my stance on this, I got to go in a minute here is, you know, not judging someone for what they think, but how they think. Yeah. And that can go a long way. Well, the, the other one I dislike is, and they talk about this in the book, is the fact that most people are inherently good people. But we've been thought to believe that most people want to do you ill will, that everybody's against you. And like, you know, case in point, like they were talking about, um, uh, you know, like, uh, you know, hey, I'm, I'm transgender or same sex marriage. And that, you know, because this, these people hate me. I'm like, dude, you're free to marry whoever you want to marry. Like, I, I like. If you want to marry uh, whoever you want to marry, a lady I just saw married her uh, zombie doll the other day. If she's in love with that zombie doll, be happy to marry that zombie doll. Uh, if, if you know, um, you know, you feel that you're not right in your skin and you want to do this and you want to go down that road, then like that's your pursuit of happiness. And like, you know, life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness, that's you living your life. But saying that I have to like it or I have to accept it, whether or not I do or not. That seems weird to me. Like, shouldn't, like, it's your decision. Why do you need my validation for it? And why is it if I don't give the validation, then I'm an evil person? Like, I want everybody to live the life that they want to be and happy. Now, if your life is different than my life, that's fine. I don't have to, uh, you know, you, you don't need my judgment. You don't need my permission. Go live your life. Mm -hmm. Like, if, you know, but like, it's this weird thing where people are constantly searching for this acceptance. And like, ah. I don't think I get up every day hoping to God that some bunch of people I don't know accept my life for who I am. Like, how do I know? Like, I got three little kids. I'm married. Like, that. my life might be different than other people's. And am I living my life to appease them? Fuck no. I'm living my life. Nor are you pushing on people. Yeah. Have twins. Go have twins. Get married. Yeah. Right? No. Dude, um, and I've told you guys a million deal. Like, if you don't want to get married, don't get married. If you don't want to have kids, don't have kids. It's a hell of a responsibility. Basically, but that's also different than, like, what if I was a guy who would ask you, like, what's it like to have kids? And you may, now, you, now you've been invited to share your value. You know what I mean? Like, versus you just kicking in a door and telling people how great it is. Well, or, having kids is a lot of work. Um, that's what I always mm -hmm. tell people. Like, if, if you don't want the work... And then the other one, too, is uh, what blows my mind is I can't imagine having kids without my wife, like without the partner. People that choose to have kids like single women and like get into that, like, man, you are better than me because uh, having three kids is a lot of work. And there needs to be this kind of uh, what I call like the balancing a chi where like, you know, my wife is. Um, you know, like when the kids scrape their knee, they go to their mama. Like, like when they, like, it's just like this weird kind of, uh, balance of roles and they get like a positive, like a male and a female energy. And I think like that helps for the kids cause they, you know, like, and I just think like, man, it would be tough to try to do everything and be everything for those kids. Mm -hmm. Um, I also don't know how I would work and get anything done if it was just me with all these kids. And like, it's just like, they are extremely, 
uh, needy and selfish and like, I mean, and as they should be, but like, that's a big thing. Like they have to do stuff. Like we came home yesterday. Uh, we had to, you know, not only get them showered up because for some reason, like showering is a big deal, which I don't know why that is like washing their hair, brushing their teeth. Like they're just dirty monkey kids. Like that's how they are. That's why I call them dirty monkeys. Uh, but then like they had homework. So then we had to get a bunch of homework done and all of a sudden it's like eight o'clock and I'm like, I'm just going to go to bed. Like it's like I got work to do, but mm-hmm. you know, it's, but the, um, I guess the point I'm making is there again, going back to how easy it is to push out maybe a radical or edgy version of your value stream in front of somebody's eyes, like without invitation, you know I, what uh, I mean? And I'm with you in the sense yeah. that like, we'll just don't fucking don't acknowledge. Right. Like that is certainly, that's but, certainly, I think a, a, a skill set that everybody should have is if something is, if you don't like what's going on, just change the fucking channel. Yeah. Change the mental channel. But it like, but it, uh, and I think it goes back to this idea of like safety and being liked. And if there's this thought that people don't like you or they disagree with you, then they can harm you. And it's like, man, like, uh, like it, it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Like I, I told, I, I made a joke to the guys. I'm like, I guess, you know, people like if we were here at power athlete and here we are in case in the property and we saw people coming down the road with pitchforks and, uh, burning, you know, uh, torches and we're coming to get us, I would assume that like, you know, it's on like, this is, this is something we have to deal with. If people are at the front of the road and they're waving and you go over and you talk to them and you're like, Hey, what's going on? What are you guys doing down there? I don't worry about it. So, you know, but like, like, the ability to gauge the situation and then have the appropriate response. Um, and then also I'm not opposed to hearing other people's views. Like I'm, I, I think the, uh, the vegan stuff is extremely interesting, especially when we were, were going back and forth with them. But at the same right, like I'm just amazed at how, uh, I guess like liver die bloodthirsty, like aggressive and angry in this. And I was like, man, I don't care if what you guys eat. But don't try to couch this with an idea that it's it's more humane and better for health. It's just disagree. I'm not a crazy person. And like my whole thing. And then like they get into these arguments and they're so ad hominem, like attacks and you and evil this. And but going back to like, fuck. going back to one of the themes of the book, it's how they're arriving at their conclusions and how they're choosing to engage in the discussion. It's not necessarily what they're saying. Right. And we've said that for a long time, dude, even like before it became such a like such a edgy thing to drop on our Instagram to stir up some fucking, you know, like when we would get the question going back to tying things, tying it all up. When we get the question at the seminar, the next response would be, you know, if someone would say, Hey, what, if, how do we approach this? If we're coaching a vegan or if we're a vegetarian, right? The next follow-up was, well, what's the basis for the decision? And then the response to that gave you would provide two different answers. If it was a moral or religious reason that someone was a vegan or vegetarian, uh, you ultimately like you, you do your best to inform them, but you have to respect that that's their moral. That is their moral exactly. uh, ground, right? Yeah. It's a moral issue. Now, if they believe that it's a healthier lifestyle, arm yourself with information. Sure. And it, it just, it just isn't, you know, and, and we had the literature and we shared that uh, plenty of times, but again, it's like how and why, and are you willing to go with the volley or does it go straight to like, what's the, what's the internet rule where if a argument gets past like seven fucking counterpoints, someone's automatically a Nazi. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> you know but I mean like, but you have to remember that shit too, happens man, all the fucking time. What is it like confirmation bias? We were talking about like, mm-hmm. I think what's interesting is people subscribe to things that they think seem right. 
Like that's a big one for me at too. that time as well. well though. But, but we run it all the time. Like, ah, that seems like it's right. Mm-hmm. Like, um, you know, like the, the flatter thing. So you sit there and you watch it and there's people that are like, ah, oh, this seems like it could be accurate. Mm-hmm. You know, there's obviously been government conspiracies. People have been lied to and they go through this whole kind of narrative piece and then they think, huh, you know what? Like, but my, my case in point is always, uh, who's, you know, Kui Bono, like who benefits by, with the flat earth? And they're mm-hmm. like, it's mind control. And like, they go back to this, like, like who benefits? Like now, now if you told me that there was a massive government conspiracy known as the federal reserve, which is uh, not federal nor a reserve because it's not a bank. It's this, you know, organization of, you know, highly shrouded organization and mystery and like no government oversight that controls our dollars. And there's, there's some nefarious people that manipulate the current currency for their own personal gain. That I 100% believe because I remember sitting in, in college and government and uh, discussing the Federal Reserve and by far like the biggest theft of like the American people, which is uh, Social Security and like all of these things. Like, you know, the fact that like you hear I'm like, oh, we got to cut Social Security. Well, that's our money that we pay in and then mm-hmm. the government raids it. If they just gave us that money, if you were to look in like somebody's done it, uh, I, I've seen it like dozens of times where they're like, hey, if I made X amount of dollars and I paid this much into Social Security, um, this is what I get on the payout total amount opposed from if you gave me that money and I put it in a savings account, it's like exponential. And they're like, this is a huge theft of the American people. Mm-hmm. So like that piece, like those are all pretty accurate for me where I can see like who's benefiting from that. Uh, but the flat earth thing, I don't really see the benefit in that one. Mm-hmm. Um, the other one too is, uh, you know, I, I loved how Trump put out that whole thing like, Oh look, you know, we're reaching these record cold temperatures for, uh, you know, uh, global warming's a hoax. Well, if you look at climate change, all you got to do, and I always, the movie, which always cracks me up, what was the one with, uh, where like they have like the huge ice age comes, um, mm-hmm. ah, you remember that one? Dude, there's two Dennis of them. Quaid. There's two of them and they're both fucking New York. equally like awful. Yeah. Just bad. But, uh, but I know what you mean. But but like when they go through these weather, you know, deals, like what is the spark that causes the ice age? I mean, the last ice age came from a huge meteor hit and then you have this, you know, nuclear winter and the sun mm-hmm. gets blotted out and that's how we, and then it takes years for it to kind of come through. But man, it's just, uh, but um, even, even with that, the, I think where the risk lies is like that level up. It's not the theory. It's the thought, uh, whether it's a flat earth, whether it's a climate change, whether it's, you know, the, but, the fact remains that we've lost trust in conventional, like, or in, you have people that are so smart, like a guy, like a Ken Ford and these absolute, like, like the people, like the rocket scientists that are cutting this and you have some dude with a YouTube page who, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, but his, but that YouTube dude's first instinct is to say, to look at Ken Ford and be like, I don't trust that guy. Well, yeah, like, he's, that's uh, the, to he's me, he's in on it. Like think, think about this. Like nobody can keep a secret, mm-hmm. right? So you're telling me that for the last 60, 70 years, both the Russians and the United States and all the different people in NASA and all the different groups have all been locked into this hoax. Yes. <laughs> and they're all in league together and all kept their mouth shuts and nobody's out of it. Nothing here. Like nobody's out of it. And again, like I know I've said this on this podcast. And I know I've shared it with you, John is like the reason that these fascinating stories are so compelling to individuals right now is because life's it. so fucking easy. Like, you just got the time to, and luxury to do it. Oh, I thought you were going to go with uh, X-Files. No, no. That's why I like, I think it's fun to think about them. Like, but I don't know. I don't believe one. Okay. No, two things. And maybe, you know, maybe this is just my nihilism speaking, but like if the globe is fucking flat, how does it affect my life? There is that like, I'm and that you. is like very, that is very sen- central and very small sided. And I understand that. And like, um, but how would it affect 
okay, let's say not just me, but everybody else on this fucking spinning disc. It wouldn't. It wouldn't. Like yeah. it, it, it doesn't change our trajectory at all. But the interesting... So, but so, let's, I guess what I'm getting at real quick to button this one up is like these, these social, these global social issues, like while I feel that there's a, there's a tier of people that should be like um, addressing and operating and, and doing think tanks on some of this shit that could, that have high risk factors for the greater good of countries... Uh, continents, like things like there, there is a tier of people that are qualified for that shit. But for the most part, in my mind, historically, the average Joe worked their fucking ass off to make sure that they had clean water, food, shelter, and Maslow's hierarchy of needs for their family and their community. But that's like that whole foundation is just dissolved and like shit's too fucking easy. You know what I mean? And we expect it to be easy. And like, I, I, I don't know. So that's where I think a lot of this shit stems from, because if all if it was like between putting up my YouTube video, I'm underqualified. I can't get a fucking job. I'm living with my folks. I'm going to put up a YouTube video about this conspiracy X because the conspiracy is why I'm fucked up. I'm going to go get some fucking clean water so my family can survive. Like if those were the decisions you had to do, fuck that. You know, like you'd have to do the things that you absolutely needed to do. You know, I'm with you uh, to survive. So that's what I think. Like now, how do the problem is like with Pandora's box is open. We're not life's not getting any harder. Well, who knows? Fucking nuclear war. Right. Well, no, like well, the, well, the world's going to end. I, I just saw the whole oh, yeah, thing. 12 where, years. Well, the um, uh, the what is it? Uh, Cortez girl uh, was talking about like the world is going to end in 12 years. Mm-hmm. So all of these moves that she's making are, you know, based off of the idea that the world is ending in 12 years. So she has to counteract it. Uh, the interesting piece, and we discussed this, is if uh, we are on a trajectory for the end of the world to happen in 12 years based on our present trajectory, um, I wonder what we can do as individuals. Mm-hmm. Like, even if we got rid of, like, okay, we're going to never drive our cars again, everybody gets, like, if you look at, like, the amount of carbon, what is it, carbon uh, impact or like, you know, impact to the globe for all of the cars and us as individuals mm-hmm. here in the United States. And you measure that against the like, I think it's like uh, a week of the tankers going back across yep. from Asia to the United States, our impact. And so like they I, I love how they put it on this like social like we have to get rid of all of our cars and this. And you're like, you realize mm-hmm. that all of our cars uh, and driving don't impact the environment. The well is just like a week of these freighters going back and forth on sure. on, uh, on on and what they're putting out. Totally, and then you man. look at the drilling and all these other factors, and, what, what, what and the, it's not as if we're going to stop the uh, the flow of tankers coming to this country mm-hmm. with goods and going back and forth and bringing you your rogue squat rack and your yep. TVs and all the other yep. shit. And so it goes like. Like that's where, and, and then they're like, oh, you know, uh, I saw Cory Booker's thing being like, we're going to outlaw meat because the impact of uh, methane sure. gas, which is fucking bullshit because we know that there was uh, 50 times more rudiment animals on this planet pre-Columbian era and we didn't have these fucking problems. Mm-hmm. There was 50 million that fucking herd of buffalo in this country. I think there's something about, like about 100 million head of cattle. So like, it isn't like, okay, so now we're at two to one. Like when they, when Peter mm-hmm. Bowers said went through all those impacts, it, it, it's not moving the needle. Yeah. I, so what they're doing is they're, it, it's it's all red herrings, man. It's all bullshit. Mm-hmm. And like, if we're going to truly impact and we have twelve years left, then we have to go over and be like, okay, uh, Samsung, 
uh, Best Buy, consumers, all that other shit, you got to stop. We can't bring any more goods here. Now we have to go back and produce the goods for our people, but we can't turn on the factories because those are going to have impacts as well. Mm -hmm. So how do you have a, a, a country that's approaching or a world that's approaching 10 billion people that's based off of this like world economy of goods that yep. has production, manufacturing, shipping, the whole deal that are going to have some form of like combustible gas or combustible engine that puts off some you know carbon monoxide yep. that's going to impact this. What are you going to do? Are you going to stop it all? Yeah, and she's like, oh, we have to go all go green. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So what you're okay, let's say you gave everybody in America a fucking trade in and they got a free electric car and we went to zero admissions. Do you think that those admissions would impact it in a significant enough to deter it for 12 years? Or we had 14 years. We had 15 yeah, years. It's an interesting. I mean, you're bringing up a, an interesting point and it's not that. Like it, you would move the needle. Well, like would it move the needle? Yes. No. I'll just yes. give you an example. But, so in Southern California, I think people don't understand and realize the amount of emissions resulting from mixed modal freight, which is, is how things get to where to, they yes. go. And with the global market and global economy, it's coming from South America, Europe yeah. or Japan. Dude, like, like you said, those freighters. Yeah pushing the fucking tugboats, the the yeah. railways, all the cranes taking yeah. cases off of oh, yeah. fucking loading boats. it. Yeah. Well, and dude, uh, you get in, in your ass and your ass in your fucking Fiat and going to get some uh, cantaloupe from the local Whole Foods. Like well, all of that shit just has a huge fucking footprint in Southern California. They had this huge thing with like water and they were like finding people and, you know, if you're watering your lawn and we got to cut this. Uh, Jim Smith, who is a family friend of ours, he had a he's a uh, um, contractor. They built a pretty big, good sized building in Southern California. Uh, they had to dig a subterranean garage. So as they were digging, water was filling the garage. They pumped something like 10,000 gallons an hour out of the garage into the sewer. You're going to love this uh, for over a year, 24 hours a day. It was like 10 to 12,000 gallons is what they pumped out. They were, they like searched and they called the city out and the whole thing. It never hit a water main. So there was no, it, it wasn't coming off of a meter. It was because the water system and infrastructure in LA is so old and so broken that that's just their leakage huh. that's coming through broken pipes. It's not that there, there was no meters, nothing. That was just water escapage. When he calculated how much water that is, I mean, it was like millions and millions of gallons of water they were losing in this project. They had to like basically seal everything and create this watertight subterranean. And like they were like paranoid the whole thing was going to float away because they couldn't stop the leakage of water. And yet they go to my mom and they're like, oh, you watered your lawn twice. We're going to take it away. You know, so they find the individuals when the problem is, is that you have fucking, you know, uh, um, you know, Jerry, uh, you know, Jerry um, Brown, who wants to do his high speed railway. So we're going to put one hundred billion dollars into this railway instead of being like we should upgrade the, the fucking water system so that we're, you know, the spillage and the waste isn't what's causing a fucking drought. But mm -hmm. yet what they do is they put it on the consumer and like the consumer. They pay taxes. Where's that tax money go? Who the fuck knows where it goes? It isn't going to upgrade the infrastructure and the grid and any of these other problems. So, like, it's just. Uh, you know, and is there a massive conspiracy through it? I don't know if it's a massive conspiracy or people. It's just not a priority. It's too fucking it, complicated it's to fix. Too complicated to fix. So we no just way walk away we can. Yeah, no it's way we like can our get spectrum bill. Yeah, no way we can get constituents to like. Everybody wants the water fixed, but no one wants to fucking leave their house for a month for us to be able or, to fix it. Or deal. we have to dig up the streets right. and we got to get traffic. all the water mains and the traffic and this. Nobody's willing to do it. It's like our, like I said, like our spectrum bill. Mm -hmm. Nobody knows. Yeah. How come nobody will fucking come to fix that one? No fucking clue, but that's hilarious, isn't it? Yeah. All right. Well, that's good. I'm good for our two hours.
Yeah, was it two hours? Yeah. Oh, it's hour 56 minutes. We have four more minutes. Tell another story. <laughs> have you ever had a samurai sword? Oh, geez. That's a joke. That's a joke. And then do you remember some guy got mad? He's like, I don't want to hear any more samurai sword stories. Well, then, you know what? I'm not going to tell him. Oh, that's, I hope you're a happy guy. Well, maybe that one guy is, and everybody else is like, oh. Did we get an interview being like, one more talks too much, especially about samurai swords? It's your podcast. He's I mean, it's not my podcast. I'm the, just a guest. That's the joke. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, that was episode 300. Uh, we talked good about, about training and nutrition, and then we got into the fucking crazy flat fun earth. stuff, people. The flat earthers out there. And hey, listen, if you're a power athlete person and you're, you're a flat earther, like, we're not mad at you. You can do whatever the fuck you want. Just don't come and steal from me and my family and my people. But if you try, we're going to put a boot right in your chest, Sparta style, wrapping it all up, wrapping it all together. Thanks for listening to the 300th episode of the Premier Podcast in Strength and Conditioning. Bye. Say bye. bye. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. A special thank you goes out to Mazama Coffee in Dripping Springs, who has been fueling the fire for the podcast by way of delicious coffee. The gals here have hosted the crew on many occasions and really are our partners in strength. So thank you so much, Mazama, and thank you, our listeners in Power Athlete Nation. Until next time, bye!